a Highline podcast. We live in a complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Hello, everyone. We are hanging out. At Mr. Henning's house. Welcome to the studio, you yeah. guys. Live. I am fortunate enough. <laughs> well, to... live for us. Yeah, live right. for us. Sorry, not for, any, not for you guys. <laughs> not for anyone else. <laughs> it's all right, though. You know, maybe someday we'll have that light on. We're and... greedy. We're selfish. We like ourselves, but don't want to invite anyone else. Yeah. Oh, the idea of being live, though. What if you say something weird? I know, you right? can't cut it out. Totally. Oh, I love it. And you're like Joe you Rogan. Can't cut it out. <laughs> My favorite parts historically are the parts where Kat and I are like, Torna, cut that out. And then you don't cut it I out know. on the final edit. <laughs> it's always valuable always conversations. Happens. Always, always valuable. Funny. <laughs> I think that's more of a note for us to just make sure we don't say that phrase anymore. Right, right. Right. <laughs> Maybe I should so you're saying I just need to cut out the don't cut this out. Yeah, exactly. And then just continue. I got you. I got you. And then make it seem like we just <laughs> yeah. said it without <laughs> second guessing ourselves. No. Well, this is not my first time recording here because. Wait, no. Did I? I re- no, that was forever ago in your old. Never mind. I recorded the KMP episode in my old apartment. In the old apartment. That was before I was a homeowner and stuff. We're in your home. I'm a mortgage home now, studio. Yeah. Never mind. This is my first time recording here. This is exciting. Absolutely. It's quite a nice setup you got. Thank you. It's spacious. It is spacious. He has an entire it's podcast. Not my bedroom. He's just like beaming. He's so happy about it. <laughs> I love having people in here. It's so yeah, fun. It's great. Have you recorded with other people in here other than Dixie? Uh, no, actually. So you guys are the first Ooh. I like it. to make it over. I feel honored. Welcome. Same. Welcome in. Feels like winter. It was like three degrees today. And yes, we've got a bunch of snow. Bunch of snow. It's almost Christmas. Our drink is red. Yes. That is so good. And Henning likes it. Very Jenny. <laughs> wow. Torna's mother made the syrup in the cocktail yeah. we're drinking. Yeah. Amazing. So we got some cranberry cordial made by Mrs. Torna. Cheers. Yeah. What is this? Is that what it's called? Cranberry so cordial? I didn't know what to call this. I was I was going to bring us one of the cocktails that I have been making, but I was like, well, we've done a lot of Negronis recently, so I didn't want to do the pumpkin Negroni. And then cat would not have argued with you. though. No, no, no. And it's pretty tasty, actually. So, you know, but my mother had made the syrup. So I thought, hey, why don't we just do like a little gin something? So, yeah, it's, there just, you go. it's just gin, a little bit of some cranberry and rosemary cordial. Delightful. And some club soda. Very Jenny. Yep. We we each also have a finger of Lagavulin 16. My favorite scotch whiskey. It's the right thing to do when we're in your home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we each have that next to us as well. And 
later we'll be going to a new local brewery, grab some dinner and grab some good beers and stuff. Yes. It's just a good hangout. Kat, welcome to Billings for the first time ever. Yeah. Billings great. What do you think so far? I mean, I've really just driven up one street. <laughs> That's fair. This is fair. <laughs> no, but it seems cool. The butte situation that you're like beneath. Uh, quite yes. beautiful. The rim rocks. Yes. Rim rocks. Mm-hmm. It is a is it's a butte, right? Is it's, it a butte? It's a plateau. It's that a plateau. one's a plateau. So we yeah. call this the rims. This whole spine of cliffs. Okay. But like Phipps is kind of like a butte. So like down the road, there's like Phipps Park, and it like the rims end. And then, like, in the middle, there is, like, a butte. So is a butte more of just, like... A little smaller. A little smaller. And, like, self-contained. Self-contained. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, once you get on top of the rims, like, it goes on... It's massive. ...ever flat. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know... We're just in an old seabed. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. The Yellowstone Valley. You drive out of here, obviously, it's plains everywhere, so it is kind of like a nice little river valley, almost. Totally. Um, But Billings is all right. I told you people, people all around make fun of, of Billings and, and Dixie and, likes to make fun and, and Dixie dis, doesn't like Billings dis on it, but I like Billings <laughs> fine and I, I like all the people here and everything like that. So yeah, you know, good people, you know, good places. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. The family's here. If anything, Billings is also pretty emblematic of normal people in normal places for right. Highline. Exactly. You know, like that's, that's true. That's kind of where that inspiration come from. Mm-hmm. It was like. Yeah, no, I don't need to be from LA to make a podcast. I'm from Billings, <laughs> freaking Montana. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing and is, is like, we've got, you know, the biggest international airport in the state. It's the fly-in guests. It's a great spot to have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, the airport's up on the cliffs. Uh-huh. There, there you go. Yeah. I like it. Good Glad stuff. to be here. Good. Welcome. I wish we had more time and the weather was a little better. We could show you around the heights. There's this cool spot yeah. called the, what is it called? The Devil's... Devil's Kitchen. Ooh. Devil's Kitchen up on the rims. You hike from the top at like oh, over oh, by Swords yeah. Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go through this cave and then you pop out at the bottom of the rims. Oh. But it's like kind of sketchy and there's like, you know, Might homeless people that live. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Might get stabbed. But like we I used feel to. feel like I was back home. Classic feelings. <laughs> so when we were younger though, we used to be up on the rims like all the time. Yeah. And we'd like go in there at night and. We never got stabbed. Like Gregory Hills climbing, right? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Classic spot for... We'll have to come back. Climbing yeah. types. In the summer. Yeah, in the summer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just gross. It's just like a lot of like gray snow pushed off of roads in the winter. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> That's you know? true anywhere in the winter where it snows. Yeah, except if you're in like Red Lodge or Cook City, those places are still magical. Yeah, that's Yeah, true. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a... An opportunity to go down to Red Lodge for the Christmas stroll recently? No, I really wanted to, didn't but it make was, it this year. It was I went to the one in Bozeman on Saturday, and I just couldn't swing going Dang. on Friday. I can't believe we've missed that. That breaks a streak of four years. Yeah, you normally go to Bummer. the Red Lodge one. Yeah, mm. it sounds cool. It's awesome. You're like horse. They got buggy rides and. Yeah. It's a little more charming than the Bozeman one. Totally. Right. Like, the know. Bozeman one, okay, let me just say, this is all I've known, my only like window into what the Bozeman Christmas stroll is like. I haven't gone to it yet. Um, This is my third winter here and I haven't gone. <laughs> but I live, you know, like two blocks from, yeah, yeah. from Main Street. Californians not participating in our culture. <laughs> God damn yeah. it. Damn it. <laughs> and it was clearly like, 
rowdy. I went and hiked um, Garnet Mountain that day. When right. I came back in the evening, like it was in full swing and my block was just like packed with cars. Right. And, it, you know, whatever. It was like people are having fun downtown. But in the morning I wake up and it was like cold that mm-hmm. night. I don't yeah. there. It hadn't snowed, but it was cold. And I open up my curtains in the morning and there's a baby stroller oh. in the gutter across the street. And there's like enough stuff in it that I'm like, is there, a, is there a baby in there? So I like put on my coat and go outside and I go and I'm like checking it out. And there's like a big blanket and I'm like poking at the blanket and I'm like, I don't think there's anything in here. And then I look like under and I see a little boot and my heart sank for a second. Oh, no. And I was like, oh my God. And I pulled on the boot and it was, there was no baby in the Yeah, yeah, in. yeah. There's no baby in the boot. But somebody fucking abandoned a stroller with like, a child's shoe and blanket and like to- like the kid's stuff. And there was just like a r- empty red solo cup like in the cup holder of the stroller. Pretty and that rowdy. stroller was there for like two weeks. It's a very weird party. Yeah. And then finally the poor late people who live across the street, they kept moving it. Yeah. They kept like putting it places being like, is someone going to come get this? Like <laughs> finally, like, like a week and a half later, I saw it just... There's somebody building a house like down the street and they just like put it next to the dumpster that's outside <laughs> oh of that construction. Gosh. I'm surprised no one grabbed strollers are expensive, right? I yes. know. I was like, who like and there's not like riffraff in Bozeman. So I was like, who Yeah. Abandoned their who was like that drunk though? They're like, you know what? Let's just carry the kid. Like, screw the stroller. Screw wheels. We're never going back to the wheels. <laughs> yeah, it's like bizarre. I don't know. I've never I haven't been able to figure out what happened there. Screw wheels. We're taking this off road. <laughs> so to me, the Christmas stroll is like lit, apparently, because it makes parents do crazy things. It is the <laughs> yes. one night, like even during Red Lodge um, is not like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh it is fun though, because it is all blocked off. All the bars will serve you drinks and Solo cups. And you can walk around. You just walk around. Abandon your Just how it baby. should be. Like Butte. Right. Or oh, just like no, drinking no alcohol on the streets laws, and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Wilsaw is apparently unincorporated. It's like its own little. Is it like a city state? Yeah. It like <laughs> is basically. So you can drink all you want in their one street. So like a cool uh, autonomous zone. This is not. <laughs> yeah, I am not. Cool okay, so it's not going to devolve into in, complete in, and other fucking, fucking anarchy. In no Wait, way. We need like borders and yeah, security. Exactly. <laughs> so oh, Wilson, Wilson has an absolutely banging rodeo. Yes, the best. Wait, I haven't been to that. And I Never love mind. going to that rodeo. Yeah. They always have a big street dance after, and I am in no way condoning this, but like, but everybody's drinking and I'm pretty sure like every 12 year old has like a Coors in their hand. <laughs> Not even joking. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's America's birthday. How old were you when you had your, had your first alcoholic beverage? Sip or? I probably had my first sip when I was like three. Yeah. Sounds about some right. Some wine. Mm-hmm. It's like an Italian thing. Totally. Like, hey, you it's can't, healthy. you gotta, you gotta drink some wine. Yeah, it's healthy. Drink mm-hmm. some wine. It's good for your heart. For you the gotta, antioxidants. You can't leave the dinner table yeah. until you try some wine. Yeah. Right. Like, we don't care if you finish your food, but you gotta take a sip of wine. <laughs> yeah, totally. I thought of this as a tweet earlier. I haven't tweeted it yet. Mm. I kind of wanted to run it past you, but. So we cut this out? <laughs> <laughs> wine is just old grape juice. Uh, yeah. It is. I'd like that tweet. But saying it that way <laughs> yeah. is funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just old. 
It's just old grape juice. It's just, yeah, old grape <laughs> juice with some, some, old some wild juice. yeast. Yeah, right. Yeah, there yeah. it is. That's what it is. I like it. It's a I good think, observation. I think I was probably 11 when my dad first let me have a sip of his fat tire. Mm. That was the first beer mm. I ever had. Nice. Nostalgic Back in that place. day, fat tire was like probably kind of like a craft beer. Like yeah, now it's like a it, domestic. But it like, kind of was. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was before New Belgium really like completely solidified the domestic label. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could get like what, like a nice brown ale or something through from Fat Tire. Right. Uh, um, so New Belgium is the brewery. Fat Tire is like their signature amber ale. Yeah. Oh, amber ale. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm thinking of. But yeah. Right, right, right. It's good. It's a classic. Yeah. Very good. I think I've told my story of when I first had alcohol on the show before. I think you Dude, have. It's a yeah. party, right? My sister's like, high school graduation. Oh, that's right. Yes. I just started sipping out of champagne flutes and little nine-year-old or ten-year-old me was like, whoa. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> bubbly wasted. old grape juice. Yeah. Yeah, bubbly old, exactly. <laughs> From a special place in France. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, just the other night, um, my roommates closed finally on their um, storage unit stuff, so we popped Whoa. open a bottle of champagne that no. we had. Nice. I forgot how good actual champagne is. Yeah. Not just the knockoff stuff that's different. not from... There's Prosecco, and there's Brut, and there's, you know... Yeah. Is the- Prosecco the one you make uh, mimosas with? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you can make it with Prosecco. It's a little sweeter. Mm-hmm. Now, throw some orange juice. Really, you should, you know, use champagne and freshly squeezed orange juice, but, you know, right. this is in France. <laughs> okay. Actually, you know what? To your point, I finally had, I forget where I was, but I had a, like a proper mimosa yeah. with like decent champagne and nice juice. And it was delightful. And yeah. I had like totally thought I hated mimosas. Because you go to like a brunch place in Bozeman and they give you like a pint glass with like all some cheap, disgusting, sweet Prosecco and like a splash yeah. of like the kind of Prosecco juice. that when you drink it, you're like, oh. why is it burning my throat? Yeah, just like makes you feel <laughs> just, like, like instant whiskey. headache. Ugh. Yeah, horrible. So yeah, agreed. Do it right. It's quite, quite nice. I'd rather have a mimosa like once a year than right. some of these people that are like, mimosas for breakfast. You know, yeah. I, if I went to get brunch and had like a a finger of whiskey, I would probably get so many dirty looks. It's true. <laughs> but like all yeah. these middle-aged moms no, have like right. seven mimosas. Yeah, they're just like pounding yeah. sugar. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me drink my whiskey at 9 a.m. in peace, okay? Right. <laughs> like what about like Belgian waffles with like... I'm not getting day drunk on my whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's like really fair. But I feel like maybe like some Belgian waffles or like a big old plate of French toast with like a little whiskey. Ooh, Would be delicious. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm a bloody gal though. We got it. We've got to yeah, do like a breakfast special and yeah, do a bloody situation. Right. Yes. I don't think I've had a good Bloody Mary. So I'm skeptical, but I oh, also believe be so you. Good. Yeah. Because I've also had good mimosas. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Right. There's a bad version and there's a good version. Yeah. I can't, maybe, I maybe, can't judge uh, my whole Bloody Mary experience on 
a couple bad ones. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Maybe we'll sure. do like a kegs and eggs kind of episode. Oh, that's fun. We'll do kegs like a, and eggs. Kegs and eggs. We'll do like a morning recording. Yeah. We can do bloodies or something. Totally. I'm into it. You can burn your scrambled eggs. I'll yeah. burn some eggs. Just let me make, make some a frittata blood. instead. I just we'll can't. Make it. A <laughs> Don't knock my eggs till you try them. They're good. What? No, I'm with you. No, I, I like, you're with I me. like <laughs> very overdone eggs. I like dry. But hold on. No. <laughs> I probably have a worse But mine egg have take. like onions and garlic and oh, nope. spinach and like tomatoes. Right. And right. it becomes like the egg is, it becomes like batter basically. It's a binding effect. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I just douse it in hot sauce. I just whip some eggs together and just burn them. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> just I don't like Deep milk. Their own. I don't like cheese. Yeah. In my scrambled eggs, like I don't like them. Oh, I like pepper jack in my eggs. There's any any amount of watery to my scrambled eggs is bad scrambled eggs for me. So do you what what do you put in your eggs? Salt and pepper. Uh, uh, just pepper. Just- actually. <laughs> Nice. Okay. <laughs> and then you use hot sauce, though. Yeah, I use okay. hot sauce. Right. Well, so like it's a little when, more when I food prep my breakfasts, right, yeah. I cook a pound of uh, breakfast sausage with and sauteed mushrooms and black beans okay. and mix those all together, put them in my containers, and then like with the sausage grease that's just in the pan, I just pour my eggs straight into it. Oh, so you're getting flavor there. I mean, a bit, but- Yeah. No, I'm- Yeah. That- I'm also getting- every trace of moisture out of those eggs <laughs> but then you just yeah well that's how i like fried eggs too i just go straight like the most over hard egg i want no runny yeah. yolk at all my boyfriend steve likes his fried eggs that way good like man. over hard good man i don't know i just i like them I over I've, easy i've said this before like egg yolk is like the fountain of youth it's like nature's sauce it totally is nature's sauce yeah yeah no. In your sourdough toast, yo, have either empanadas. of you have <laughs> yo. either of you ever gotten breakfast at um, Mama Max and Four Corners? Yeah. Oh wait. Oh my God. Big should fan we, of Mama Max. Should the three of us go get breakfast at uh, Railside tomorrow at I'm, the Pelican? Actually, that would be fun. I'm way into it. Little dive spot right in Laurel. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. It's our favorite like spot, it. Laurel. Yeah. It's just like Fantastic. the best. Bad diner food ever. I like it. It is fantastic. We're doing it. I'm into it. Deal. We made a plan. Oh my God. We are talking about drinks and food too much. And we were going to talk about crypto. Right. This that's right. True. Let's transition. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> Here. Because we've also got some other stuff. What else do you like to eat for stuff. breakfast? Yeah, we <laughs> go. <kidding>. Crypto. <laughs> I've been doing oatmeal recently for breakfast. Yo, I do oatmeal too. It's pretty that's good. That's the Wild West at my house. It's, it's like nice. whatever. It's amazing how far a few scoops of oatmeal go to make you feel like very satisfied yeah, and totally. very full. <sighs> okay, I know we want to talk about crypto, but like uh, in ye oldie <laughs> days, like medieval times all the way up through, you know, 1500s. Sure. Like, uh, I don't know where he's going with this. The Highland, <laughs> the men of the Highland, the traveling men of the Highland, uh, part of their essential like travel rations was a was NFTs. Of, yeah, <laughs> NFTs. No, was a bag of oats. And yes. although, oh, it's true. although it, you know, it would be sparse, they could live like a week off of their bag of oats. Right. Yeah, seriously. So it goes really far. It's nice and heavy, great. very high in fiber. Yeah. Yeah. You cook I real quick. <laughs> Dice up a little it. Hey, apple. I'm here for it. Add a little salt and a little bit of sugar in in melted butter and like kind of saute those until they're soft uh-huh. then cook then add your oats and uh, water oh. and cook that it's, it's like pie. instant like sweet 
baked apple in your oatmeal. I say oatmeal. brown sugar. Yeah, you, you can do that. Too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Super good. Anyways. Should we start a food podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> but like we just talk about Dry food. Dry eggs. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> Dry eggs. The entire ingredient list is just eggs. Just eggs. Cooked. Yes. Cooked eggs. Whatever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, I just took my first sip of the uh the log of Berlin. Yep. Absolutely delightful. I'm moving on to. And uh, cheers, we can, friends. yeah, let's cheers to that. Cheers, cheers. to the log of Ulan. Dive into our crypto cheers. talk. Uh, you haven't finished your no, but delightfulness, <laughs> but cheers. So, last week we had a discussion about cat <laughs> <laughs> makes the best faces when she it's tries really my intense. whiskey. <laughs> it's delicious, but it's like, you know, I'm not yeah. knocking it back. No, nor should I. It's a sipping. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I would like a, a little water. Not that I'm asking for it. I'm not yeah. asking for it. But I we think make it happen. my whiskey sitch, I think I'd be like a water gal. I have some or, granite stones in the freezer. We could throw a stone in No, there. no, no. It's all Chill good. It it's, it's nice. But doesn't like James Bond add water or something? Somebody does. Yeah. Anyways. You can. Uh, crypto. Crypto. <laughs> uh, last week, uh, last episode, I guess this was like two weeks ago, we talked about inflation. And we hinted a little bit about crypto, so this this episode, which is the last episode for 2021. And the last episode with Henny. Henning is present. For now. For, for now. now. You didn't add the for now. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> for now. For now. So, for now. Um, you know, we're, we're just having a good time this evening. But we right. do want to talk about crypto, at least for a little bit. Um, yep. And then I do want to talk about uh, 2022 prospects and totally. kind of the fun stuff we've got planned. And yeah, I'm into it. Anything like that. And I think we'll... See Henning off with a, a proper salute. I'm not and, uh, going. We still have our group text, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we should. Still we still have, have the a group whole text. Highline Discord going to <laughs> tune in. That. <laughs> if I don't ugly cry by the end of this podcast, oh, no. we did something wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that comes after dinner. After we finish these, yeah, yeah. two yeah. <laughs> liquor drinks, multiple beers. Then we'll cry. Yeah. <laughs> Crying is later. So we'll recover with breakfast. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we're going to dive into crypto. Finally. Uh, but before we do that, you know, we haven't really talked about it much on Whiskey Bench. We've hinted at it here and there. But where are you guys at with your crypto understanding, with okay. your crypto acceptance level? Like, are you really into it? Are you open to it? Are you like, no, this is weird? I'm totally intrigued by it, but I don't understand it. Okay. I am, I feel like I'm teetering on the edge of like, this seems weird and I might get into it soon. Right. Like start putting some money into it. Cause I think that's the best way to learn about it is to like put low stakes, but some stakes yeah. into it. Right. I will say that's what I thought, and then you put money into it, and then you're like, "Wait, no. I just put money into it, and I literally still don't know anything about it." No. <laughs> yeah, see. but it forces you to pay attention, right? Exactly. Right? So there's that. And, I would think so, and yeah. you know, as you learn yeah. more of the type, so that's good to know. I yeah. think I probably know more than the average person, but less than you. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. I'll put it that way. So, because I know you're essentially our presenter today. Yeah, yeah it's something, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, I am. I am just heads up, super stoked on crypto. 
right? I do really love it. It excites me. Crypto fanboy. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Very much so. And I'm trying to learn more about it because it's so intriguing. Mm-hmm. And I do have some pretty high hopes for the future. And shout out to Cameron DeMars. He and I kind of, I don't know, he'll, he'll send me podcasts. I'll send him, him podcasts. And I just get like so juiced up by listening to it. Mm. The guys that are into it are so smart. And some of my favorite people that I've listened to over the years have really dove into it. Dived into it? Dove. Dove into Doven. it. Doven. Doven. Dove. Dove into it. And, they uh, dove. They dove, dove into it. They dove into the Dodge. Yes. And so <laughs> exactly. uh, Dodge that's dive. kind of helped also fuel my excitement. <laughs> So I don't really know where to start. I was guess that this... a Dogecoin joke? That was. Oh my oh. gosh, it's so good. <laughs> Thank that you for laugh very hard. I don't own any Dogecoin. Nice. I... Okay, I will say this <laughs> about crypto bros. Because mm-hmm. most often it's crypto bros and not sisters or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is that the equivalent of a bro? I, I no, know. it's, Sis, you know, it's... Brah. I hate that. Bros. I hate that that syllable just came out of my mouth yeah it's the worst um this is this is maybe slightly offensive but i always thought it was like crypto bros and crypto hoes oh (laughs) bros and hoes yeah i don't know all right we're always in that category that is that is an unfortunate (laughs) or yeah in our household like caleb and i my roommate we refer to women as chica felicia's so chica felicia's so that's you know i think that's i think that's better and more respectful. So <laughs> no comment. I'm going to move on know. to my point. Depends on the context. Was crypto, that, crypto bros and crypto chica felicious. I wouldn't be terribly insulted if you called me that. Oh, okay. Right, <laughs> so yeah. that's okay. So here's where I am with like, I agree that there are many smart people in the field. Yeah. I also think that some of those smart people and some of the not so smart people who are just good at marketing and sure. being in the media though, have made crypto into like, kind of a culty thing fair that can that's still that's why i'm still like this seems weird but i'm curious i feel like and saying this as someone who doesn't fully understand it i, I feel like it's i love inevitably your memes that you're sending us by the way and they're so good the what the <laughs> nft memes you're oh, sending yeah, us i know yeah. that was good with a coffee face <laughs> yeah yeah um but i feel like it's kind of inevitable that it's culty yeah because it's unregulated. Mm-hmm. It's outside of like sanctioned systems. It's a new frontier. And mm. fr- like that is going to draw. I'd be curious to know like what most people like in this world sort of how they identify, but I would imagine it would draw a lot of like anarchists towards it. Yeah. And, I and don't so actually then know. it is going to be like a kind of unique fringe. Yeah. Group. And I don't know if there's a difference between. <laughs> starting to give culty vibes and (laughs) just like by the nature of being an early adopter you just seem a little bit like a crazy person or true you know what i mean Yeah, that's fair Mm -hmm. like there's something to be said about early adopters yeah for sure yeah but (laughs) but some of these guys seem like they're way more than like early adopters i mean from what i've seen just like not even going into dark corners of the internet. I, don't, I actually don't know how to get to those corners, but just yeah, like being in places that are like maybe, I don't know, an entryway to like what a path that could take you there. 
Uh-huh. There's a lot of people who are into crypto who are like, yeah, we're going to like destroy the Fed. We're going to like destroy <clears throat> like like this is a way to destabilize governments. So so this we'll, we'll get into this, but there's the we want to destable the Fed from the anarcho kind of standpoint. Right, yeah. And then there's the oh yeah, it's going to destable the Fed because that's just what it's going to do with not like and just maybe accepting that as like a price right, to pay as right. you they're like we'll work move through forward. it. Yeah. Like a byproduct. Right. It's a byproduct of it, but they're not like rooting for it. Right. So this, you know, right. Different factions. <laughs> People always find odd allies, right? Oh, sure. Strange, <laughs> strange bedfellows, right? Yeah. yeah. The exactly. The en- what? Too many drinks already. The enemy <laughs> of my enemy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. For the record, I'm not against destroying the Fed. No, me neither. What, <laughs> but, the full, the full, famous four, fourth full branch on, of government yep. that we've discussed. Right. Yes. yes. Absolutely. So let's start, I guess, pretty basic. Basics, yeah. <laughs> and kind of talk about crypto. I'm sure a lot of listeners are far more informed than I am, so I can struggle through this and um, feel free to roast me. Um, all of our tweet at us or yeah, links are in the yeah. show notes yeah um, sounds right but let's start with bitcoin because it's kind of the the first one yep um, is it in fact the first one yeah so bitcoin is the first kind of cryptocurrency that really blew up but there are there were some earlier kind of currency projects that bitcoin based itself off of that we're using cryptography for like banking and things like that. I cryptography. Think cryptography. That's so, a new word. Oh, okay. So this goes back to, cause it's cryptocurrency is all based off of cryptography and cryptography is like a pretty old thing. I mean, they were using it in like the late thirties and forties specifically like during World War II to encrypt secret messages. There's a whole history behind that. You know, I remember Henning. Did you ever take? Did you take Wolfram class? Yes. The final yeah. was a decryption. We, we suffered through that class yeah, together. So <laughs> we took this class, and the final was, yo, writing a program to decrypt a secret message. Um, that was the actual kind of thing that was used during World War II. Hmm. Um, and it's a series of uh equations and whatnot, and you have to you have to know like a pin essentially, and if you plug it into this encryption. You can then decode a secret message. And that's how like your emails work. So all of your emails are encrypted. Hmm. And that way, like people that you don't so you're sending your email to whoever. You send an email to me. Yeah. It's encrypted. And it's to ensure that Henning can't look at the email that we sent to each other. Right. Unless he has my login. So that is the part. Or unless I'm just copied on the email. Right. Exactly. What what the encryption does is protect the traveling of those bits and bytes from you to him okay. and I can't like swoop in in the middle yeah. and grab it so it makes and it read so your it's message. not publicly accessible it's just like yeah, yeah okay exactly right. and so that makes sense there's a lot of encrypting math that is part of all that is crypto mm. all of the of the cryptocurrency math. math yeah two gripes about that class we were in yeah. first of all <laughs> 
the results of the test, the solution to the test was the first two paragraphs of the book, A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> That's Great funny. book. Yep. Very annoying for that to be like yep. <laughs> the result of the <laughs> test. Secondly, that class made me work so much harder than a five credit class I was in. And it was a one credit class. I spent upwards of 20 hours a week on homework. Infuriating. For a one credit class that I got a D in. You got a D? Yes. In, oh. You got a D? I got a D. I got a B. What? <laughs> I'm, I struggled. How did we study together? <laughs> I struggled in that class. Oh, no. So bad. It was so hard. You just explained it so well. I figured you did a good no. job on uh, this. When you actually are sitting there having to write code and like. Yeah. Do the computer I programming. I couldn't even begin to. And I've never done any computer programming in my life. Me neither. And it's not a particularly, apparently, not a particularly conducive. It was so or intuitive. Hard. Yeah. Program like it got to the point where like Tucker and uh, Kobe were like, "You should seriously just copy our homework." And I was like, "I can't do it." <laughs> I should just. <laughs> Tucker Damn. was so good at it. It was yeah. insane. It made me so mad. Anyway, encryption. I'm used to knowing things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> encryption has been around for a long time, and it's just a way to basically add security to all sorts of things: messaging, banking. Sure. Um, it keeps people that you don't want out. That makes um, sense. Essentially, and so all these crypto and blockchains are kind of based on using encryption. Um, that's really helpful to know. Right. Like, so that's I, where the, maybe that's obvious, that's but it wasn't where the obvious security to me. Security side comes in okay um and then solving the encryption is a very difficult mathematical process is that what the mining and is that's what the mining is Oof. is solving the encryption problems <laughs> and the rewards for solving them is mining crypto so like bitcoin is the coin right mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll get into ethereum because that has more use but like the actual work that it takes to solve these encryption problems, you can be rewarded actual Bitcoins. Because it takes a lot of time and a lot of power, energy, all of these things. Right. And it's this balance where the price of Bitcoin reflects the cost of mining equipment and the energy. And if when Bitcoin was at $69,000, it hit 69000 exactly. Hee <laughs> hee. Um, <laughs> Funny sex number. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Classic. The price reflects it where, like, I don't know how it works, but it's all built into the rules of the system. Like, it means that you have to do more work to earn that Bitcoin. But now that, like, the price has dropped to, like, 49000 now it takes slightly less work to get rewarded that. So, it kind of, it's all in check and balance with each other. Wait a second. That makes sense. But, so, that's what's largely driving the value of the currency is the difficulty of the encryption? Yes. So when Bitcoin first started, we all could have mined it on like the crappiest 2014 basic Dell computer because the because the 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 encryption was really small. And every time an encryption is solved, that's called a block. That's where the blockchain comes in. And so once okay. an encryption is solved, that's now a block. And every block that's added means that you have to like check the original block. And then also solve the new one. So does that mean it like... It becomes harder and harder in to infinitely. solve that problem. Not infinitely because there's a set amount of Bitcoin available. There is 
as more and more blocks are discovered, it becomes more and more difficult to mine. Mm-hmm. And that part of that is engineered into the cryptocurrency. So it's creating a type of scarcity. So there's only 22 million Bitcoins within Bitcoin, the original Bitcoin, that can be minted. 22 so, million? 22 million. That's, that's what, not very much. That's not that many. So like it, it, once, I think it's 2042, the last, it's projected the last Bitcoin will be mined. That means there's not enough Bitcoins in the world in circulation right now for every single millionaire to even own one. There's a lot of millionaires in the world. Oh, because the value is different. Right. Right. So there's only 22 million coins. A lot of them are lost. Right. Okay. Because people had them on ledger cards, on computers. They forgot about it. So And it's encrypted. So that means it's like hidden away. Right. Right. Which adds the security, right? And there's insanely difficult passwords that are just like randomly generated. Randomly generated 25 word. Get you into your wallet. Codes. Yeah. And like some people get locked out. Yeah. <laughs> because because a lot of people like write their password on a sticky note and that sticky note gets lost. Yo. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> right? So things Actually, like- no, I have it in a book. Quick plug, you should use the app LastPass. <laughs> I've been using it for years. LastPass. Yeah. You remember one master password and it generates incredibly secure passwords for right. every app. And it remembers your both your username and your uh, password so you can start using different usernames as well and have those like auto generate now I mean like if you lose your master password you're kind of fucked or right. whatever but <laughs> if you're that person very you're fucked either way so what yeah. happens when that site gets hacked right mm. and they I mean like they most of their employees are into the security of them anyway so, but who created bitcoin so, well, I, okay, hold on. That's a stupid question. I know is, that there's like this whole mystery around Shakamoto or the fuck his name is. Satoshi. Satoshi. Satoshi Nakamoto? Sakamoto. Anyway, Satoshi. Some. Satoshi in his white paper. There are different philosophies around this. Some people think it was a group of people. Um, some people think that it was someone that had very little computer programming knowledge because of the way it was written, like the actual algorithms and the code. It's... Not sloppy, but it's pretty rudimental, like pretty basic. There's, I forget the gentleman's name. There's someone that a lot of people think it was actually this really famous cryptographer. Um, I forget his name, but he was like one of the first people that came out and supported Bitcoin when all of these other people wouldn't. Um, and he died, I think, in 2017 or something. And it kind of it correlates with about when like Satoshi went silent and actually communicating with the community. So who knows? I guess my question is like, and this will show my total ignorance of this sort of thing, but whoever it was that created it, did they just like write a code to create this set amount of of coin and then people have to solve the code to mine it? Yes. So So it is just like code. It is just code. Okay. It's like the most insane online geocache right. ever. <laughs> but the thing is, is it's not just code. And, th- and now we're going to talk about like kind of the basics of the, of the crypto and the network and the mining and how this ties into to how it works. So when you, Satoshi invented this, coded it, and 
he could have just started it and, and mined it on his computer. And the problem with that is he's the only person that is solving these problems. And he's the only pe- person that is keeping up with this. But it's become really widespread. So now people all across the world are doing this. So essentially, he's built this massive network of computers that are all interacting with each other across the world. And this is where the value comes in. It's called proof of work and kind of how the network is built. So I don't know for certain the details of this, but like whoever was behind inventing Bitcoin probably was thinking, okay, we need a way to have a decentralized method of processing money, currency that can't be manipulated, that you know can be held accountable, but also has privacy built into it. And so the way that these blockchains work is that you have these miners all across the world and solving these algorithms are part of the equation. So by solving these algorithms, you are keeping track of every transaction that is happening. So if I trade you some Bitcoin and Henning trades someone Bitcoin, these computers are processing that transaction it's in a ledger. And putting it on a ledger. Right. But the thing is, it's called proof of work. Every node, which is someone that is doing this, is doing that exact same math. So you have millions of individual computers decentralized, checking one another. Verifying. Verifying. That the transaction happened between just the two of us. Ah, okay. So it is a... So it's like if you guys trade... Bitcoin, it's like I'm just over here as a witness, basically being like, ah, yes. But it's like millions of witnesses, but none of those witnesses have a name attached to them. Right. So it's legitimate, but there's no way for any one country per se to say like our central bank is in charge of. Right. Exactly. Individual all the way to massive groups. It's totally anonymous. Exactly. That's really cool. And <laughs> so the analogy that I've heard is because it's, it's the community saying like, yes, I agree that person A, which is Torna, yep, gave person B, which is Cat, this much. And it's, what's it's it's like a an anonym anonymous, yep, faceless community just saying like, ah, yes, we've double checked this. It's good. So How there, incredible are human beings that yes, we can just do this? There's validity in that. And what's interesting, and this is one of the arguments that kind of is the pro crypto. I'll, I'll just kind of. I'm going to be all over the place tonight because when I get excited about stuff, I I can't put my sentences together particularly well. But part of the beauty of that is you can interact with anyone around the world almost instantaneously without having to worry about foreign government or bank institutions having to transfer currencies, things like that. It's, I mean... Good, right? You've got witnesses that your transaction is fair, that your your side of the deal has been fulfilled, which is which is kind of a beautiful thing. So that so that's kind of the benefit of it. And as these blocks are built, they they're solidified and creating a, a record. It's a it's a mathematical proof of truth, essentially. It can't be tampered hmm. with. That's an interesting way. The to events frame it. that happened using that cryptocurrency are independently verified to be true and can't be tampered with. Which, in the banking world, 
is pretty cool. It's huge. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's it's kind of wild. And so I just got a couple notes about Bitcoin, which I think are are kind of important. But Bitcoin is so amazing in other cryptocurrencies because it's decentralized. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't like that, but it's true. It's a global thing, which is pretty cool. Decentralized. Mm-hmm. All of its distribution and exchange is not regulated by any individual authority. Participating in mining Bitcoin or running a node gives you essentially voting power on how it's run. It's a little little complicated. I'm trying to learn this more and more. But you have more uh, voting power the more like CPU or energy or power that you're putting towards the entire network. What do you mean by voting power? What do you, what are you voting? What does uh, that mean? If for any reason, like something was to be altered, like these nodes have the ability to participate or not participate um, in how the program is running. And so you can't have any one person just be like, Oh, I'm going to change how this program runs you know, nefariously and say that all of it goes to me or something like that, something weird like that. So it's, it's tamper proof because it's kind of based on the autonomy and individuality of each person that's mining it. Mm -hmm. But there's also like a meritocracy to it because you get more say in quote, say the more effort you're putting towards it. Okay. So a great example is in one of the counters is like, oh, well, if someone ever owns 51%, because this is how it's written in the actual code, anyone that owns 51% of the mining power or whatever could completely change all the rules in Bitcoin or something, which is true, but all of those previous histories, nodes, everything like that, are so secure that all of the history prior to this, in quote, overthrow are set yeah. in stone. <laughs> You can't rewrite history. So if you, you could tamper if you, if you if you had majority own, you could tamper going forward. Going forward, but everything else would be yeah. true. And the thing about crypto is it can all be transferred. So if something really weird happened and there was an overthrow, you could create a new network. You could expel the person that's trying to be nefarious, copy all the previous ledgers, and in a completely separate digital space re-upload Bitcoin and have it run forward Hmm. and expel the bad player. So this is almost like a model for organizing society in some ways. Yeah, very much so. But as I was saying, there's no, you know, regulated by authority. And like, as we know now, fiat, the US dollar, whatever, I mean, it has to go through a banking institute and Bitcoin is processed by a distributed network of individuals. Right. So you you don't have one institute that, you know, you put $100 in your bank account and you spend $20. The only person that you trust in telling you that that company only charged you $20 when you swiped your card is the bank. And there's plenty of stories of FBI agents giving fake, you know, reports to banks being like, hey, this is a private investigation. We need you to clear these records. Yeah. It whereas, the, done. whereas the blockchain is like, oh, I don't know what you want me to do about it. Millions of people also witnessed that. Right. And it's an hands. open source public ledger. Right. Yep. And so... Um, so no one can just go in and like delete things right. if they want exactly. to. Yeah. And it protects because you could basically 
you could copy and paste like a, a transfer and you could spam the system with, oh, I sent you $100 and then you copy and paste it and you say on the system, actually, he sent me $100 100 times. Well, all these other systems are checking it. And they're like, uh, no. That's not what we it saw. Only, only one source said that this happened, so that's an error. Mm. So it's checking and, and keeping mm. stuff. So that's Bitcoin. That's Bitcoin. I've been curious to know <laughs> what makes Bitcoin different than the rest because a lot of people talk about it as different than the rest. Uh, Wait, so that's just literally Bitcoin? That's not just how crypto that's, works? So that's the foundation that's of the, the foundation. That's technology. That's how crypto works. A lot okay. of it's in proof general. of work, ledgers, things like that. Right. right, okay. But Bitcoin was designed and is essentially just a currency. Now, it's. I heard a great example. People say it's just a currency. It's just like money. And the example given was like, you know, at a distance, a bat and a bird and a butterfly, they could all be the same, right? And you're like, hey, that's a butterfly. Let me tell you about birds. That was the example, right? There are similarities, right? But there's differences, right? There's security, everything like that. But essentially, it was designed and is built as being some sort of currency. So it only has one function. It can only be traded, spent, held, right? I mean, it's pretty basic. Whereas other cryptocurrencies, are becoming broader and broader. So you have some cryptocurrencies that came out after Bitcoin that people refer to as like the Swiss army knives of crypto. Mm. So they're like, hey, we, we created this cool new crypto that has 20 uses. And then they were saying like, you know, within a month, some smart guy's like, well, I can't use your crypto for this application. And so you get into the world of something like Ethereum, which is a completely open source blank slate and we'll talk about ethereum because that's kind of like the next step in the in the history of like useful crypto it's kind of like bitcoin 2.0 we're going to take a quick break then we'll be back to our conversation if you like what you're hearing the best way to tell us about it would be on apple podcasts there you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show thank you to reagan james for the use of our theme music the habit off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. And I think a lot of that comes from me being the weird kid in high school. Oh. This is my uh, secret D&D ability. <laughs> I will find something to connect with you about with anyone I, and i will find the dude who is in the corner of the party and is most likely a really cool guy and he just needs someone to like like tee him up for it what is that poorly drawn meme where the guy is like standing at the party if they only knew i you know that meme <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now back to our conversation um, so Ethereum was headed, now there's a whole team of developers, but from what, from what I understand, kind of like. That the, aren't shrouded in mystery. Right. Like the Bitcoin Kind of founder. like the right. main figure okay. of Ethereum who's, he's 27 years old. He's just brilliant. Of course. Um, <laughs> his name is, uh, Vitalik Buterin. The dude's a genius. And listening to him talk is pretty good because he does a really good job. Uh, in explaining fundamentals of Ethereum and what its project is, which is very refreshing and enjoying to see from 
kind of that kind of brain. Because a lot of those guys, man, they can't talk. They're not good public speakers, but he does a pretty good job, which I appreciate. Vitalik came into the development of Ethereum kind of from a different perspective. He saw the Swiss Army knife cryptocurrencies and wanted to approach it a little bit different because he saw the problems with it being, hey, there's a lot of smart people and they're quickly going to outgrow what these coins are capable of. And so what Ethereum is, is basically like Bitcoin has nodes all across the world. Uh, so does Ethereum, but it interacts more like a unified supercomputer. So you have all of these computers working together that act as this massive supercomputer that can share computational power, all of this stuff, right? He created a platform that allows computers to work together as one. Which they kind of already are with Bitcoin. Okay. But this works a little bit different because he engineered into Ethereum a computer programming language. So you can use Ethereum to make a website because it's a computer programming language. You can use Ethereum to make a video game because it's a computer programming language. You can use it to make a banking app because it's a computer language. You can use it to make digital art because it's a computer language. Hmm. So it opens up literally everything that's on the internet using this one coin. And the other thing that he did, because ta- listening to him speak, he actually has, uh, he seems to have a pretty good heart. He really wants to see the world grow and be better and give opportunity to people. So he didn't put a cap on the number of like coins available. And he also encourages developers to use his system to build alternative coins and, and kind of build this massive network that's all working together. So you can do art, gaming, websites, domain names. You know, messaging apps. You could basically make an Ethereum Twitter, which is which is pretty crazy, right? I googled him, and it says that he created Ethereum after developers weakened his quote beloved World of Warcraft character, and then he like realized that like a centralized <laughs> power over his like favorite game it awakened him to realizing that like centralized power is dangerous because it took away this thing that he loved so he was like i'm gonna create like the opposite of that that is amazing also (laughs) listening to people talk about crypto that's the most nerdy origin story (laughs) yeah very libertarian movement right that's very much so decentralization why i'm interested in it the benefits of globalization right Mm -hmm. interacting with people which is really cool but yeah so it's this built-in computer programming language that opens up all of this possibility um, better face. <laughs> the other thing is, which is crazy, is it's all open source. So if someone makes this incredible Twitter, you know, alternative on Ethereum network, it's open source and this other development developer can use that. And all of these are seamlessly capable of interacting with each other. So like someone could make like a Instagram equivalent but then seamlessly, because it's all open source, allow you to merge your Twitter features into Instagram and do all of these crazy things. So uh, how can you make money off of this? So, Because that's what will sustain it, right? Right. And this comes into part of like the smart contracts, which is part of cryptocurrency. So because it's a computer science language, you can write code. Most of it being like, if something happens, then you have this outcome. Mm -hmm. 
That means that when you're building your Twitter site, you can write in rules and regulation, um, fees for things that kind of fuel and fund the development. You know, part of it being open source is participating in it doesn't necessarily mean that you're making money off of it. Mm Mm-hmm. But you could use other, I mean, you could still do an advertisement scheme so people have to pay for advertisement, things like that. Right. But the open source element, it's open source. But you could write into it like with NFTs, which I think will be the last thing we touch base on. Write into like, you could write into it royalties, things like that. So, hey, we have this cool Twitter alternative. It's open source. But if anyone uses it and makes money off of it, we want 2% of proceeds. And the thing is, you can't scam the system because it's written into a code that is checked. So you can't say, oh, I'm going to use your your program and then not pay you the 2% because it's written into code. And, and these smart contracts, which is a good thing and a bad thing, unlike a judge, they can't show any grace. Mm. The law written into it is the law. And it will enforce it always. So there's not that human element to it. But like, you know, if you want 5% returns, the whole network knows that you want 5% returns and it's implementing that rule. So you can't like steal stuff essentially, which is where the the coolness of crypto comes into. Um, It's creating private property within the internet space. Right. It is creating private property. Yes. Hmm. And like wholesale creating, not just and like not just the idea claiming what's existing. Not just right. the idea right, right, right. of private property. Like, you know, Henning tomorrow could show up at my house and demand or the government could show up at my house and demand my house. Right. But if you have your property within a crypto it's written into the code that is being built and stored. No one, by no amount of force, can take that. There's no fucking eminent domain in the crypto world. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty cool. And a lot of people don't like that. Right. Um, but it does give a really cool opportunity for... Well, the people that are in power <laughs> currently of don't course they like don't. that. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, Because exactly. how do you like... Yeah. They can't get around it. How do you it? start to tax something that you, if the code is written in that, so that you have an individual has like proprietal rights over it? You'd have right. to so, change so the code so a government entity so can't, can can't tax it. That, yeah. But right. you could write into, you know, your, your code some sort of, sort of tax. So a great example is this, mm-hmm. of this is there are some people now that are, privately creating like these DAOs for research or anything like that with crypto and they're minting and selling NFTs or things like that. And they're saying, Hey, as this is traded or you make money on it, we get 10% of those proceeds and all of that money, all the proceeds from what we're putting out is going towards this DAO. So it's almost like a self-sustaining research fund, but it's all privately funded. Hmm. Artists could do it with music. You could do it with, paintings you could do it with podcasts so this isn't just a this isn't just a currency no this is this is establishing a whole new framework 
for like organizing society, which is what people call Web three. So Web three, okay. the idea behind Web three, as we know the internet now, we've got servers held by Amazon and Google, and we're using Google email. They have access to all of our information, all of their code, everything is all closed source. So you can't really see what the logic behind what they're doing is. Mm-hmm. There's this whole movement to use the Ethereum network and crypto as a whole to create a completely separated parallel internet that's 100% decentralized. No one has control of your information and it turns, this is what's really cool. That will mean that no longer the consumer is the commodity. Right. Which is going to completely screw over Amazon, Google, right. you know, uh, Bloomberg, all of his data That's collection. That's why they're bending over and they're like, yeah, Congress, regulate me harder so they yeah. can just like <laughs> stay regulate in good standing. Regulate me harder. It's totally what it is. That's so funny. No, but that's true. Yes. That's, yeah, right. They're in bed with, big business is in bed with big government because this is a massive threat that undermines both systems. Right. And the thing yeah. is, is it's, it gives people an opportunity for true individualism right it's right. giving people individual freedoms it's giving you're like radicalizing me as i'm listening yeah, yeah. I'm now, like- <laughs> so there is there is the consideration though of like the dark web already exists true but there's the possibility that the crypto web 3 becomes just like dark web 2.0 in the way that like because of that decentralization unless there's just enough enough like social pressure from the community to be like behave otherwise it can go like some pretty creepy directions true but wouldn't it just be like all of society and on the regular internet yeah like when it that's that's just human nature there's going to be like decent actions and then like gross horrible ones right yeah so i mean and here's a great example and this is a podcast that i will link in show notes because this blew my mind i was telling you about this it was a podcast done not that long ago by Tim Ferriss, and he had on with special- Kevin Rose? No, with Katie Hans. Oh, yeah. Okay. I heard that one, too. Nice. It blew my mind. Yeah. This woman is amazing. I thought I hated all feds. Katie Hahn, you're <laughs> never going to listen to this, but you changed my mind, honestly. She's an incredible human being, and she was influential in- Helping disband this black market called the Silk Road. Yep. Um, back in like 2000, what was that, 16, 2017, maybe? That was dealing with crypto and everything like that. And this whole story unfolds and it's absolutely wild because they were trying to uncover who the Silk Road person was. They had a FBI agent that was undercover that went rogue and joined sides with the Silk Road guy. <laughs> Ended up stealing 25,000 Bitcoin and little did they know there was a second person in the FBI that went rogue that was also dealing with the Silk Road. And, and these, these rogue FBI agents got fake permits to have banks erase records. People lost money. Records were all lost. But you know what wasn't lost? All of the transactions that were done with Bitcoin. How could you steal the Bitcoin, though? There was this whole, like, weird thing where the FBI agent, like, convinced the Silk Road guy that, like, his right-hand man stole it. And I, 
he like got access to a ledger code or something and and sent it to himself. Um, hmm. But all of these bank records became dead ends because all these banks were like, well, feds came to us and was like, this is a top secret thing and you have to delete these records. So yeah, of course we deleted the records. Hmm. But all of these transactions, they could track where that money was going because they knew 25,000 Bitcoin was stolen or whatever. And even though they didn't necessarily know who was trading it, they were able to track public knowledge exactly how many times it was traded, hmm. different IPs that it was being traded to. And I don't know exactly how they did it, but because of the Bitcoin, they were able to take down this black market. Like, So this, the Silk Road doesn't exist any longer? I don't know about that. But at least okay. the main guy, the founder, was taken down and his right-hand man, who was an 84-year-old, like in Vegas or something, God like a grandpa. Him. And like, who knows? I mean, a black, I mean, they must have been dealing all sorts of creepy stuff. Yeah, gross. So, crazy stuff. But like, there's, you know, there's security, but there's also a public record. So, how cool would it be if like the government had to use crypto and it was public knowledge to every person where every single penny was going? No. It's a government Yeesh. nightmare, but yeah, exactly. no, no longer does the military budget get to be the black hole of fucking right. money every year. Every budget can no longer be that way. Yeah, that would be amazing. Right? Yikes. But also there's huh. security, you know, things to think about that. Fed coin and whatnot. <laughs> I would love to like ha- hear, I don't know, Janet Yellen explain what Fed coin's going to be, you know, like... Uh, I don't think any of these people fully even understand. And if she doesn't understand the implications about. of right. what that, it's like, oh yeah, right, right, right. And you know, the thing is, is with crypto, kind of built into it. Now it's very volatile right now, so like there's there is issues there. But like most of them have some sort of built-in scarcity. Um, most of them have some yeah. sort of merit. Like ninety percent of Bitcoin has been mined. Right. right. Something like something that. something like that. Right. But we still have another twenty years before it'll be depleted. Because um, the equations get harder and harder and harder right. the closer you get to So that in theory mind. will drive up value. The other thing is they can be divided many, many times. I think Bitcoins can be divided up to 100,000 times. Yep. So you can own parts of a Bitcoin, so it's easy to divide. So they create scarcity. Um, they have built-in systems that help prevent things that we have issues with now, like spam. There's something called gas fees for Ethereum, where... You have to pay a certain amount of money to do transactions, and it's a very small amount. What money? What kind of money? Like Ethereum, but okay. say it translates to like every megabyte of data that you're processing costs you a cent. That's not very much for the individual, but if you're looking at big spam things, there's no one, because like right now, sending emails is free. That's why you have these massive spam things where everyone, you know, it doesn't matter. They can send a million emails for free. And if a handful of people fall for it, they made money. Whereas if sending a million emails cost them $100,000, right? oh, there's no incentive in that. So it kind of helps with mm-hmm. some of that. Wait, can I pause and ask a question? So if the Fed coin idea is like... That sounds like a honeypot. Because, they want, <laughs> because what they want to do is be able to regulate it. But what they're talking about is something that can't be regulated. Does that simply well, but, just demonstrate that they don't know what they're talking well, about? Well, no, the huh? thing is, okay. well, kind of. <laughs> but the thing is, they could make kind of like a half-assed government fed 
crypto. They, have they, they ever could, tried to like? They could build their own rules into Fed coin, so they could control that, can, <sighs> that are rigidly enforced. So they could say, "Oh, right. only the government has nodes, so the government is controlling the ledger." Yeah, right. They could say, "There's not." Who the fuck would ever engage in that? Nobody. I think a lot of people would. No one. You think Seriously. a lot of people would? Normies, man. Normies, yeah. <laughs> Normies, man. Um, Yikes. But it'd be some form of incentive. For yeah, it, yeah. Probably. So, they, so they, they create scarcity in it, yeah. which adds value. You um, get like high schoolers to do it. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's high schoolers <laughs> like making new cryptocurrencies. That's true. Right. Um, yeah. You know, in an ever dude, I had a friend when I was a senior in high school in 2013. He was following Bitcoin, and that was like pretty much when Bitcoin was like starting. Yeah. Wait, you were in high school in 2013? Senior year, right? Yeah. I'm older. We've talked about. I know. Sorry. (laughs) Whenever I remember, I'm like, oh, (laughs) oh no. Yeah. No, but I I had a friend who was watching it and put like. A thousand bucks into it. In what? Damn! Hit that friend up. He was. What are they doing? He did paying, not lose it. He was paying attention. Um, no, he sold it before it yeah. really started taking yeah. off because he was like, eh, "It was speculative. It was kind of fun." Well, I know, I know a lot of people that had it and they sold it when it was a hundred bucks. So they sold it when it was yeah two hundred fifty right. bucks. Right. I mean, if you bought it for literally almost zero mm-hmm. and it went up to a hundred bucks, like that still feels real nice. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but not knowing that it would do what it did in seven years. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're like, good lord. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's built-in scarcity to these things, which add value. You know, there's talk of this is funny because this is something that you see like in video games uh, economies, like which leave it to video games to understand inflation better than the United States <laughs> government. But they're like, that's funny. Hey, as you like do things in the game, you get money. But now the economy is flooded with a bunch of money. So the value of items are going down. So video games create things to control market that they call uh, money sinks, which is a way to basically get rid of money out of circulation. And there's different methods for them to do that. But a lot of these cryptocurrencies are implementing that and saying, oh, why don't we make it so that like certain functions and things like that actually require you to delete currency? So like your gas fees or running things or like certain transactions, you actually end up deleting a little bit of your currency. And instead of like someone getting that money, it's just for the sake of keeping your currency stable. But if there's a limited amount, isn't that enough of a regulatory tool? Yes, but not all these currencies are going for limited amounts. Limited supply. Right. Right. Because they want it to be accessible to people. Okay. Which is one of the things, right? They're like, no, we want people to do all these crazy things. The other really cool thing that that crypto is being used for um, by a lot of these guys that are really into it and don't see it as a money grab. A lot of people right now do just see it as a money grab, but people that are actually wanting to see crypto replace what we have now and add alternatives to really help people. Um, I forget the guy's name, but he started a nonprofit where he is offering up Bitcoin rewards for people all across the world, right? Because it's international. There's no limitation to who can receive Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, Bitcoin sees no borders. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, honestly, and basically the way it works is like he's trying to make like a nonprofit free education program 
And he's saying, hey, people all around the world, we want someone to write 10 questions for a chapter about, you know, C++ coding. Yep. And out of the people that submit, the best 10 each get like $100 in Bitcoin. And that's incredible for people in countries that mm, Venezuela, the Congo, all across war torn nations. Where's another shithole we can name? But, Sorry, but that, well, kidding. I know, but like. Venezuela is a pretty good. It's a right. pretty good one. But the thing is, is like, what he's saying is like, there are brilliant minds all across the world. Right, and exactly. His goal, How do you he, he calls it airlifting. And he's so, like, my intent is not to airlift people out of their country. And send them somewhere else, but like create value where create value. A hundred dollars in Venezuela, a hundred dollars US worth of Bitcoin in Venezuela. See, okay, so that's still where I'm confused by Bitcoin because the measure of the value of any cryptocurrency is as far as you know. I'm an American citizen. Like I hear of the value of cryptocurrency being in terms of dollars still. And that's but see, because this is, it's not so widely accepted enough to make right. it its own. And this is of one of the problems. I can only get Bitcoin by like going through an institute and trading my U.S. dollar for it. Coinbase, Cash App, yeah, Venmo now does stuff like Venmo. That's like kind other, of a problem, right? Other online applications will allow you to effectively trade, like right here, mm-hmm. this many dollars for this portion of a. Coin. What do they then do with the crypto? They don't do sell any, it back out. They don't the really do end. anything with the crypto, but like when I buy crypto on Coinbase, they charge me two ninety nine to trade it. Yeah, but they're trading it. So then, what what happens? They're what they're, do they do with it? They probably have a, a hold in Bitcoin, but realistically, they're a middleman for someone in Texas that is mining or has Bitcoin that wants to sell it, and and I want to buy some, so they're just a third party. Okay, yeah. They're just like they're the Wall Street, they're the right. what a clearinghouse for yeah, those exactly, transactions. Exactly, which okay. is a problem with it, right? Because we're not dealing with a strictly cryptocurrency market right now. Right, right. You can trade with people if I if you had a wallet. The dollar is still the thing that happens in the middle, it's right? Like or I, somebody I just, sell on Coinbase, right? They put a hundred dollars in my account, right? And then now they have that Bitcoin, and then Torna goes and buys Bitcoin that Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. And right. that moves over to them Wait, so and he the, gives them $100. So in theory, I could not mine Bitcoin, but I could go to one of these third parties and just buy it with US dollars. So that's how yep. people think of it in investing terms. Yes. Mining is still possible. Okay. But the people who are but typically people are just buying. Yeah. Right. Coin. Like think a, of it. Okay. It's that it's digital gold. Yeah, right. There's still gold mm-hmm. in the earth yep. that we could be mining. But a lot of people prefer to just trade what is already on the market. Right. right. Okay. That makes and sense. Yeah. You know, hmm. right now there's not a lot of people using it, which is a problem, you know. Legitimacy factor. Right. Increasingly, though, people are accepting it, yeah. which is cool. Bitcoin especially. I think Shout Bit- out. Bitcoin is the one that people mostly, I think it's just because it's been around a while and people have heard of it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Name recognition. You know? Yeah, totally. Whereas like uh, Dogecoin just explodes because a bunch of redditors get right. excited, stupid, which I think is great that humans can do that because it's open source. There are yeah. other coins that they call stable coins, 
And so there's like a stable coin that's tied to Bitcoin. So it uses the same code, everything. And it's price is tied to what the US dollar is valued at. Mm-hmm. And so there's these weird things where you can have stable coins that just match current currency, which to me seems like a stepping stone just to kind of get people totally used to it. But totally. now, like Coinbase, Coinbase, you can buy a credit card, like a debit card, and you can swipe it. And, and it converts your crypto to U.S. dollar and you can buy with it. But you could That's technically cool. only have crypto and still like buy a latte. Part of the problem with, with it becoming more common is it does take, it, it strains the global node when a transaction is used. So right now, like as far as like the engineers and everything that are capable of, of writing these things are kind of working together to say, should crypto like should bitcoin be a day-to-day like currency a lot of people say no because if everyone starts using bitcoin think about the amount of transactions that are done every day right yeah that's insane that's going to strain the system and that's going to actually weed people out right because you're going to need bigger and bigger computers to be able to store the ledgers so then you mm-hmm. might end up oh no there's actually only like 5 people on earth that have computers big enough to store these ledgers and people with computers big enough to store the ledgers of that size probably are governments. Right. So there's talk about, yeah, let's use the code like these stable <laughs> coins. Let's use the code of Bitcoin and create this new thing. But have a different currency that has like, it's a different currency that runs off of Bitcoin, but like it's a new ledger and it's easier to run everything. Like that. I don't really get how it works, but th- they're, thinking about these things. Hmm. Um, yeah. Hmm. So, we create, essentially, th- th- this blockchain technology that allows us all to, like, make transactions mm-hmm. and millions of other people agree that those transactions are happening. We can think of that in currency terms, like, money is changing hands, mm-hmm. coins are changing hands, right? We can also think of it as goods are changing hands. Yes, and that's where Ethereum comes in, because you can use it to make goods and services. NFTs. Ah, yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yes. And so an NFT... That I don't understand. Yes. So an NFT all. is a non-fungible token, and mm-hmm. being non-fungible means oh. it's unique, right? Okay. They can't so be multiplied. They can't be multiplied. Um, it won't have a twin, essentially. Right. And you could... And that's just written into the code. Yep. Right. Okay. And so you could make a twin, but... You'd be able to look at it. Or something that looks awfully similar. Right. Like, I have this Nalgene water bottle, but if you have a Nalgene water bottle, it's still not mine. It's the same Nalgene right. bottle, but in a digital space, there's code that's telling you that those are two separate things. Yeah. Right. So, th- again, that's where, like, the security comes in. There's this, no, yeah, this is, it's really a security system. You can't counterfeit anything. Yeah. yeah. Right. The street identifiers. York, yeah, the streets of New York are filled with fake Louis Vuittons and right. Gucci's. Like, they might <laughs> the look... Of- Beijing and Shanghai are full. <laughs> yeah, but New York <laughs> as well. Knockoffs of everything. No, I know. <laughs> but in a digital space, you can have two things that look alike, but you can't fake it. Public ledger knowledge, right? Who made it? Everything like that. Right. And so there, there's that built-in security and scarcity. Um, and again, that opens opportunity for creators to have long-term reward and success for the effort they put in. So truly, 
like I made a joke about it last episode, but like Pokemon cards, like right. are NFTs. Yeah. Right. There's only a thousand of those Charizards. They're worth a ton <laughs> of money now. Right. And a thousand people own them or like, I don't know, account for how many get destroyed or like shredded or ruined by like a dog. But then the there's <laughs> this but, weird, but then this is where it splits off. Cause I know a lot of people actually make fun of NFTs. It's easy to, and there's, they, a, there's a huge market there of is, them that are easy to make fun of. Right. Cause there's a lot of stuff that's dumb, right? People do bad artists put out NFTs and are like, I don't see how this has value. But the thing with the Pokemon cards is like, it's a cultural piece of history, right? Pokemon. Yep. It's yep. influential all across the world and young people's lives. Right. But you can counterfeit a, you know, holographic first Charizard. gen, yeah, yeah, holographic Charizard. You can't do that with an NFT. Like, so you can't actually copy and paste an NFT. Yes. Okay. But okay, it has no value, right? Okay. So, so the meme you sent. Was yeah. like art thieves back in the day, and they're like trying to heist a museum or whatever. <laughs> right. And then art, like NFT thieves now are just like control C. Like, right. Hee hee, I got it. <laughs> so the NFT is a piece of code that is attached to a file. Yes. So okay. Dixie is a digital artist. So when she draws under Dixie Lee Draws, mm-hmm. right? Um, when she does the digital version of it on her iPad with NFT technology, she could attach essentially something like a pixel or just like a piece of the code inside that file that has that discrete tracking system that works on the blockchain. Think of it like a car VIN. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, it makes it unique. It makes it unique. So in the same way that Dixie can make a watercolor painting on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and sell that for $10, people could walk up to that watercolor on our dining room table and take a picture of it. But that doesn't mean they own it. They just have a picture of it. Right. It gets really blurry and it gets really hard to understand when you're talking about digital digital art and then like a screenshot or a control C like the meme you sent us Mm -hmm. is. But the thing about the NFT is that like the original piece has the technology on the blockchain where millions of people are agreeing, no cat owns that piece of art. The ledger says so. So this technology just basically makes digital art trackable, more secure. Yeah, trackable. Okay. trackable. trackable. And again, it's going back to it's creating private property in a digital space. Right. Uh huh. Which is like mm. one of the most important fundamental things of you know. Yes, yeah, society can't actually function without property rights. Yeah. So that's huge. Plus, right. it's, I mean, a lot of people are talking about NFTs in the sense of, like, it's foundational that we figure out how to talk about digital private property. Yes. Before we're, like, able to, like, upload our consciousness <laughs> sure. oh, and a bunch of shit like that. Jesus Christ, that's such a good point. So, oh, my God, that's such a good so point. So, of course, we're working on this Holy before crap. we gain the ability to, like, upload our consciousness to right. something. Right. Before we're all in meta with Zuck. Exactly. Yes. But this not is, Zuck. And it, this is... Yes. yes. No, you get it, though. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And all of this ties into what I had mentioned to earlier, smart contracts. And that is being able to write into these rules yep. what you want, right? So an example is music. There's all these stories. Music of, is huge. What The Taylor Swift drama or whatever. Yep. 
right? Like, what's she, the Taylor Swift drama? You oh, probably you know, know better than her new album. You explain it, okay? Because I don't get it. Okay, so I years mean, ago she put out the album Red. When she made that album, she was working with a record company who I'm forgetting the name of right now. But the way that the rights to music work when you work with a record company, there are called there are master rights, and then there's oh gosh. I forget what it's called. Essentially, it's like the master rights are the actual file that gets mixed down and that gets played. It's like the WAV file or the MP3 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the the masters that come out. Then there's the, I think it's called something like the, I really forget what it's called right now, but there's another type of rights that is is, is essentially you own the music, right? You own that chord progression. You own those lyrics all in the same it's like the record company owns the final product you own the the artist it's your creative right yeah okay so when she originally put out red Mm -hmm. she retained the the rights to the music itself like that song is hers you know all too well is her song she wrote it she owns the rights to it no one can recreate it without talking to her and her getting royalties from it however when that you took another sip. I know, I took another sip, but I'm just <laughs> processing it. I'm sorry. It's like so that was so funny. I love it. So like that record company, phases. though, they hosted her. They had her record it in their studios, right? And so yeah. she owns the music, but the file that gets played um, and that gets like burned to CDs, etched into vinyls, uploaded to iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, all those places, the they, record um, company owns the rights to that master. Mm-hmm. So what happened years ago, a couple of years ago, is that that original record company sold those master rights to a producer that she famously does not like to work with Ooh. and does not like at all. But because she retained her the rights to the music itself, like the 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 sheet music, the chord mm-hmm. progressions, the lyrics and all that. Over the pandemic, she had a lot of time and she goes and just re-records them all herself and puts them up on Spotify and Apple Music and iTunes and all these places with parentheses Taylor's version. Oh, shit. So now what happens is when you go to Spotify and listen to Taylor Swift's music, Taylor's version, she gets all the royalties now because she owns the music and those masters. So she circumvented them. She... And she, she has such a big she, fan base. Everyone's she basically just pulled her. a massive like "fuck you, Scooter Braun." Right. Like I never asked to work with you. I never wanted to work with you, and yet you you're not my make masters me- anyway. Yeah. So fuck you. I'm gonna go redo them because I have complete legal she right can. to do it. Yeah, and just do it myself. And she's gonna make the money because she has such a big fan base. So she basically exactly. just undercut that guy. Yep, and that's, that she that's, like. She literally tweeted and put out a TikTok saying, "Hey, I'm putting Taylor's version of Red out." If you're going to stream my music, please listen to Taylor's version and not the version I put out seven That's years ago. That's a fucking power move. It's a baller move, dude. Yo, she's I like her now for that. Right. Genius. Which is That's a, great. Which is a lot of drama and everything like that, which could be addressed through NFTs, where she could have addressed those issues ahead of time within a, a smart contract. And above that, like, you still have things like iTunes, Spotify that are taking a lot of the revenue yep and a lot of again there's different models but a lot of the mentality around like nfts in the crypto space is you have people that are like 
it, it is really an ide- ideology. Like these people value independence and property rights and mm-hmm. people making money. Mm-hmm. So like someone's going to make a crypto equivalent to Spotify and be like, we're not doing this to make a ton of money. Like we want to upkeep it and make some profit, but like we can make a, a an agreement where you make the majority on your creation. Well, okay. That sounds like that relies on people being altruistic, which is true. Not right, real. But you're on a, but which is, is most, if not all business as it operates already. I mean, that's, that's how whiskey bench relates to Highline right now. Right. Well, with the, with the license right. agreement okay. we signed. Small scale passion projects can work, but if we're talking like big global scale, there needs to be a real incentive. True. But the other thing too is like if you have someone like Taylor Swift in a, an Ethereum network or something like that, there's also a way to just circumnavigate a middleman completely. Like she could probably distribute it just directly to her fans. Like if you have a crypto right. wallet, like you could just get her music. And she could be her own Spotify. That that would be so, the equivalent of saying like, I could make this announcement on Twitter, but Twitter is the middleman of like, I tweet and you find my tweet. And just right. based on their algorithms, like they might just choose mm-hmm. not to show you my tweet right. or whatever. That the equivalent of what Torna is saying is like, this is why business owners care about building email lists because right. now I can send you directly. data directly from like just my email draft to your inbox right but then it even goes a step back where okay google doesn't have information of my messages yeah they don't have information of my (laughs) contact list right it's only me right and so this is like that just the next evolution of how humans interact so this this is this creates an opportunity for global interaction of a global community that is run by each person individually. That can get down to individual interactions. Yes. Instantaneously yeah. on a mass scale. Yeah. Yes. That's the, fucking huge. Yeah. I it's mean, crazy. that's huge. The other it's thing crazy. too is tying back to like talking about um, creating work for people in other places and whatnot. You know, this new level of privacy gives people an opportunity to be anonymous online, yep. which is important. You know, in an ever progressing world, I I project that a lot more people are going to lose access to things like banking, whether they should or not. It's just the way it is. Um, if you, you can't get canceled, on you the can't blockchain. get canceled. Right. <gasps> That's a tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's some wisdom from the bench. That's is true. what that is. There's no there's no forces <laughs> that can collude against uh, you. Yeah. Because it's to, to stop my you, right? computer's canceling me right yeah, now. Yeah, there's privacy, there's individuality. <laughs> they won't let me you know, there we go. built within that, you know, you have your ID. Yeah. You know, talking about this work, you know, if you're in a digital space, say you're doing editing, cat. Mm-hmm. You could build a system within Ethereum that is saying, and you could be anonymous as you edit and you complete a task within this smart contract. If you fulfill the contract. The person hiring you is happy. You then also get some sort of like, like Reddit has karma scores. Yep. You get a pro rating in your anonymous tag, and you start building credit and and reputation online. And it's on a public ledger that says, "No, she's good for what she does because she's fulfilled our contract. We're happy." 
and now it's public ledger. Everyone knows that you can edit and you do a good job. So that's just like digitizing what already exists in terms of like humans learning about each other and sharing things word of mouth. But the thing is, in every way that the social credit score in China is the creepiest fucking thing ever. Right. The blockchain, though, allows that to go from government controls your social credit score to it's every individual person is attributing. Look, and all human beings really have a social credit score, right? right, Because like if I'm a lying piece of shit, it's going to get around town. But this so this blockchain version is just like the thing is digital foolproof. You live in Bozeman, right? But you have this online presence and you decide to move to Hong Kong. That reputation stays and it's transferred. You don't have to rebuild it right. in Hong right. Kong. And because all of these networks are interchangeable, say you work for there's this there's this cool program that's for editors. And you have a great reputation on it, but you're moving somewhere else and this new app comes up that seems to be more conducive to working. You don't have to start fresh on this new app because you're you're working in this interchangeable like lego building block so your profile from this other thing that has all this good reputation can just be transferred to this other new program it would be yeah it would be as if you gained ten thousand followers on twitter you opened an instagram account and all ten thousand of those followers were just there Mm. already yeah or say you're an ebay seller and you have a thousand transactions 100 percent feedback but now amazon opens a new feature in the Ethereum world, you could just hop over to the Amazon equivalent to eBay and your thousand feedback of all your sales and everything that happened on the other app would just be present on the Amazon one. Because mm-hmm. the blockchain is verified. Oh, he's good on eBay. Yeah. So then he's good. And so we're all, just tell and Amazon we're, he's good too. And we're all in the same sphere. Yeah. Hmm. So the other thing NFTs do in particular with these smart contracts is in the secondary market, like the resale market. Yes. These smart contracts, you can embed. Okay, so good example. We were talking in my living room because I give you guys a tour of my house. Um, Torna had found a first edition uh, Tom Sawyer, mm-hmm. right, by uh, Mark Twain. You found it for like 150 bucks, Something like that, yeah. You took it to an auction. You had someone put it up on auction. They took a commission off of right. like putting it up, but it sold for almost $1,000. Right. Okay. They took their commission, but everything left over was your profit from like, I recognize a rare book. I put it up on auction. That's all your profit. Mark Twain never saw any of those dollars. What the NFT and the smart contract allows you to do is that Mark Twain can say, yeah, I'll sell it. You know, first I'll sell my book to Barnes and Noble and then somebody will buy it from Barnes and Noble and I will see the royalties from that. But if that person ever like goes and sells it on eBay or even donates it to Goodwill, the smart contract in the blockchain recognizes that transfer and you in your smart contract can write, I want to see royalties from literally every sale this thing makes Hmm. until it's completely deteriorated. So say you have an art gallery that's charging 25% commission on their, their resale. This offers an opportunity to just cut out the middleman. And say, why should this art gallery get 25% commission on this artist's art? Like, two people want to trade this art. 
that 25 commission. Well, because they're offering a platform, but what you're describing right. is just like a better, more secure digital platform. Exactly. And so now it's like, no, actually, that gallery doesn't exist. So that 25% commission actually just goes to the artist, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And it again, goes straight to the what originator. I like about this is that it builds a meritocracy. Same yeah. thing with your credit score. It is rewarding people that are good at what they do. And I love that. I have a couple questions. Yeah. One, what happens when somebody dies? It could be written into a contract. It could be. Can you pass on all of so what your realistically wealth and credit and whatever else? So that I mean, you've established? In, the, in the same way, you can say, you know, I have a million dollars remaining in my retirement account, and upon my death, that's all inherited by my children. You can just write. You that can in. say, I have fifty thousand Bitcoin, and they get that Bitcoin. Can you, does it have to be written into the code of whatever? Yes. And does yes. that, can you amend the code while, after it's been created or is it like one and done? I think the creator can continue to manipulate. Is that right? I don't know about this. And this mm-hmm. is where NFTs are, is that what people are talking right? about the idea of why don't we use NFTs to correspond with a physical thing? So people are talking about car titles in an NFT format. That could be transferable, but there's both a digital Which is awesome. public ledger record house um, titles. Um, Dude, even your freaking, your license plates. Right. License Imagine not plates. going to the DMV. You just hop on an app and amazing. say, renew. <laughs> right. um, you know, people yeah. are also tying NFTs to physical things. So, you know, Whiskey Bench, say in the future we have live events, we could sell NFTs that are like a cool picture or something like that right cool piece of art that someone could buy but that nft is simultaneously a physical ticket to an event which is one of my one of the things i've been puzzling over for a while Mm. so they buy this ticket for say the event's 80 dollars. so maybe the nft is valued at 80 dollars worth of ethereum they can buy that they have the art forever so that that's added value but then they can the come. The art is the ticket? Yeah. Okay. But then they can come to the event and be like, yeah, I own this NFT. Here's my, here's my public key. Mm-hmm. Like my phone. Like I own this piece of art. Cool. You get to come into the event. Proof of ownership is your ticket into the live thing. But then it's adding extra value because now they have this cool piece of art. So okay. it's tied with the physical element to the world. So instead of selling like a ticket that says admit one, you'd be the way you would have somebody gain access to your private event is by literally creating something like attractive right. so that say, they can say buy we do and hold an event and own. And there's 200 seats. We meant an NFT that has 200 NFTs that has a unique art. Maybe it's like the advertisement for the event. Mm-hmm. And so 200 people can own that NFT. There won't be another one like it. But then anyone that owns that also has access to that event. Hmm. So you're creating extra value out of right. yeah. that. Same huh. same version of like bands go on tour and say we have a hundred VIP packages per stop. And, you know, once they're out, they're out. Yeah. Those packages gain you special access to like backstage hangouts, special merch that no one else can buy, mm-hmm. everything like that. And it's pretty easy. Um that's one of my we're gonna talk about future goals coming up. Hopefully over Christmas I have a buddy that's gonna teach me how to mint NFTs. Which is really exciting, but like I want to learn from you once yeah. you do. 
I, I was thinking about this. It's not, it, there's a little bit of an upfront cost of actually like signing up to be able to mint NFTs, which yeah. I'm going to learn how to do. Right. But like actually making them isn't a particularly time consuming or expensive endeavor outside of like your graphic design and everything. But how cool would it be to make sweet like whiskey bench t shirts with a really cool logo? But now that's tied to you have to buy this NFT, which is the art that's going to be on the t-shirt, but like you also get sent a t-shirt. So you're creating this little, you're, it's crazy. Cause you think about like YouTube videos, all the things they are creating these like physical, uh, like memories of history where like in the digital sphere, we don't really have that yet, but like with NFTs, you know, we released this really cool limited edition t-shirt. Like we're minting a mathematical historical event, like, in the ether sphere that'll always be there on the ledger that like this thing happened, this event happened. Everyone across the world can see that it happened and it's tied to like a physical event. Hmm. It, it, it creates coordination with people. Like you could not, there could be someone across the world that is fundamentally different than you. You could disagree on multiple things. They could be your enemy, but like it forces co- cooperation. It forces cooperation. Hmm. Another thing, like with the ability to be anonymous and things like that, it kind of transcends this weird, like, discussion about like discrimination on the basis of sex and gender and race and like all these stupid things that people get caught up in. And it's just like, oh, here's this person in the digital space that I don't know anything about, but like they say they're good at their job. We don't know if it's man. We don't know if it's woman. We don't know if they're gay. We don't know if they're straight. They say they're good at their job, and also their record also backs the up record that they backs are up good, right, good right. at their job. Yeah. So are these? And it doesn't matter if they're in India. There's no issue with having to deal with transactions and switching currencies and like weird legal things. Right. I can pay them. One other little thing that I'm learning about more within talking about creating smart contracts. There's something called wet code and dry code. And dry code is like, I'm a computer programmer and I'm going to write, if Kat edits my paper, she gets $100. That's like the wet code or the dry code that's just kind of computers talk. And then there's wet code, which is like, I'm a computer programmer and I consulted a lawyer and I'm converting what he says in law to dry code. So... Here's like the so there's like a legal aspect of it. So like okay. you need lawyers to help you write these programs and these smart contracts. Oh, I see what you because mean. Because there yeah, is a because you they're know, contracts. Right. Yeah. They are okay. contracts, right? right? So there's a legality side to it. Yeah. But it's regulated. You get to choose who your lawyer is, right? And sure. it's not like, you know, you it's not like you have to write this and then get clearance from the government to interact with someone in India. Mm. So is there a way to protect this system. Like, let's just say the Ethereum world comes true and there's infinite ways of doing normal human interactions on an individual digital basis without any oversight from an authority. Is there a way to protect that from, like, artificial intelligence being able to like somebody just creating like a program to run on its own 
an act in that space? Like, is there a way to like prevent the, the, malfeasance? Basically, there's not. I but I think part of the goal with this is the ability to write code like that. And so the idea is like, think about like investment bankers. Because like, could it turn like the, into a, the goal is like there shouldn't be like investment bankers in the future. Like they just shouldn't exist. That should be a stupid job. There's no reason that you can't have a really smart algorithm that's that is a AI that says, hey, we'll just analyze the market and let's automatically invest your money. Why should a person do that? Kind of an obsolete I guess that job, makes right? Sense. Yeah. So there, there's there's a push for that to try to. I guess my question is: there's a version of like we all hate Twitter bots. We would definitely all hate Ethereum bots, right? Though. Right. And like, does it turn into like humans there would, just interacting with machines? There would likely be a way that you can essentially like, you know, sometimes you try and log into something and you get those stupid like CAPTCHA tests or <laughs> yeah. whatever, like prove you're human. Right. Something like that. I'm sure those would increase in their difficulty, you know, because like AI can you know, start to identify street lamps instead of us just picking us, <laughs> right. like clicking right. on street lamps. But that's something that a smart contract could do is like as part of your profile, essentially, like the way you show up on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the blue, like the Twitter check right? <laughs> in a way, Some form but it's like of verifying you're human or not. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I had another question about, and it's the it's now foggy, but I feel like I still want to try to raise it. Um, if this system allows for like individual property rights, how how does that how does it interact with like Zuckerberg's Meta verse? I think the goal is like most people are like, like is his metaverse as secure as what we're describing, or is his thing just like? A video game. So here's his is just like a video game. So here's the thing, metaverse. And that's so lame that that's yeah. all he could come up so with. So metaverse, right? we go into metaverse. I'm assuming he gets rights to everything, right? It's his right. site, things like that. But because the Ethereum network is all interchangeable, it's like, no, cool. We made this cool metaverse. You can just pluck in, and you are a secure individual that's interacting with this cool world. But like, we can't access your information. All of this. What not? But then Twitter, if they make a metaverse, you can just take your metaverse avatar and just take it out because it's open source and plug it in the other one. And this is where things like um, with video games, NFT video games, like the digital marketplace within video games is like a $40 billion market annually mm-hmm. of like buying skins. So say you're like an army dude in a game, you can like with real US dollars buy something that makes your army guy look like Santa. And it's like in-app purchases. Like yeah. if you ever play a game okay. or, right. or anything. Yeah, loot crates on Fortnite are famous for yeah, being this. Yeah, yeah. Or like there's been a lot of drama about like, is it gambling? Like buy money to buy these crates that when you open them, there's a random chance that you get something like really cool. Sure. But like the idea is with like an Ethereum-based world say like um here's an example uh microsoft owns a game called halo which is a very famous game yeah they could make a brand new halo game and 
you could play it and you could have these characters. But then if they make a new Halo game, all of your assets from the old game, your characters, your cool things would just seamlessly transfer <laughs> to the next one. I'm just stuck on the fact that Zuckerberg came up with something that feels like it's ancient already compared oh, to what yeah. we're it's talking like, about it's right now. Straight up like ready player one shit. Like what is I mean, there? there's stuff that was imagined in the seventies and eighties. Right. Yeah. So that's I don't know what that makes me feel better to actually be, to be if fair, that's what he's coming up with. To also be fair though, he took the idea of a college campus Facebook and made it just for the whole internet. All like, right. Original-ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fine. Right. And the, and the other thing, I forget the term that's coined, um, but talking about like the the crypto space is as people, we have this weird like tendency to translate like the physical into the digital. And so the example given is like when like the iPhone first came out, like your book section was like, a, it looked like a wooden bookshelf or whatever. Yeah, right. And it's, uh, it's like that doesn't like no. We need to well, be more creative. I think that's in, the in part space. just us trying to conceptualize like what is right, and yeah. we're so only familiar not, with the physical world. So yeah, that's right. not really innovating and things like that. Right. So some of these, huh. I think the more in, in, ingenious applications are going to stick around. And I mean, there's a lot of peddling. There's a lot of charlatans. There's a lot of just like kind of. It's a lot of money laundering and crypto right, too. and a lot of useless kind of stuff. Yeah, and so I think it's going to take time to kind of figure out what's beneficial, balance out, right, kind of chill out. Yeah, that's why I've got high hopes for Ethereum. Seems pretty cool. The more I learn about it, a lot of things that can be done with it. Right. Wow. This was fascinating, and I have yeah. good job torn it because I like in both of you. I have a much better understanding of like what this means. Yeah, maybe not so much in terms of like how. Well, I, yeah, so, I won't be mining it anytime soon. Oh, but like, just like the I. potential of what this means, like right. the big picture of it, I feel like yeah. I have a better understanding of. And that's and that's when I say like some of it seems weird to me still, but I'm still curious. Like I'm would be getting in on kind of a, an investor or trader level mm-hmm. more than the minor level. Um, yeah, Torna, I found some pretty sweet cold storage wallets that I wanted to show you because nice. I so cold storage cat is that where you store your NFTs? Yeah, so there's a version of it. This is the thumb drive that we talked about last okay. episode. Yeah. So it's like there's there's a version of it where like it's all stored on Venmo servers. Or Coinbase or Cash App or something like that. Cold storage is literal like piece of hardware that you can carry around where those bits and bytes are on the card on the chip and on the card in like the thing you can hold and only in that spot until you like plug it in to talk to the blockchain again. Hmm. So again, more secure. It's 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 way more secure. That cold storage wallets in particular are the famous cases of people write down their password on a sticky note and lose the sticky note, right. though. Right. Yeah, because it's a physical thing that can be lost. Whereas you can like back up your password for Coinbase or whatever. Right. And- but if something goes wrong, Coinbase loses information. Yeah. Right. Whereas, yeah. So that's the appeal of cord- cold storage. It's like, yep. well, I 
trust my organizational skills enough to know. Speaking of cloud services, the other thing that's cool about the crypto world, like an Ethernet, is that you could have decentralized cloud service. So instead of Apple cloud service having everyone's data, I could, if if I have a computer, I could just have a terabyte hard drive that's on the Ethereum network. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She got so bored. She just. No, no, no. YouTube. I was finding something to send to you guys. That's oh, what yeah, I was yeah, trying yeah. to do. But we're going to watch this later. Yeah. I could right. say I have a four terabyte. Right. Sorry. Okay. It's done. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. It's Mark Zuckerberg. It's hilarious. Oh, yeah, Trash yeah, yeah, Cam yeah. Paul Instagram. It's oh, great. Okay. Oh, nice. Um, Excellent. Yeah, sorry. So I could have like a four terabyte hard drive that I have 24 7 on the Ethereum network, like whether I'm mining or something like that. And it could just be part of like a decentralized cloud service and people could basically use some of my storage on my computer for their cloud storage and then I could get paid for it. Hmm. Yeah. And Apple's not getting the money. And yeah. look, Apple's an incredible company and they deserve to make a lot of money. And instead of, but also but, like Amazon Web Services, Google right. Drive, Dropbox, like. The thing is, is like this, people talk about like, you know, You're like renting your yeah, digital space exactly. out. People talk hmm. about wealth inequality and things like that. And crypto really opens up an opportunity for the normal Joe to have an opportunity to like be present in the market and do things and participate and make money and and grow and things like that. And they're not beholden to the restrictions of... Yeah. It's hard to make a moral argument against this. Right? Yeah, I really uh, people that are like truly it seems it, so neutral, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah like, it does. It really does. You you can see it being used for nefarious purposes. You can yeah. also see it being used for sure. incredibly altruistic yeah. purposes. Yeah, so, that's like, anything. I've kind of yeah. come to the point where like if someone is like truly against crypto, I think they're anti-individual. Well, mm. yeah, yeah, that happens. Yeah, Hillary Clinton came out and said that it that cryptocurrencies are dangerous because they'll destabilize nations. And I think Which that's is, just if, if you're that's a nation, your, though, it's in your interest to remain stable. Sure. So. Yeah. But if like, right. <laughs> sure, if you're the clearing house, if you're the power that is like the middleman for all of these different things and that's how you make your money. Yeah. Then, right. of course, you don't want that to be undermined. Yeah. And it's true that empowering individuals to not need that middleman would destabilize yeah. the system. But like, what's the moral like if if political pleas are based in some sort of whether it's real or not some sort of like moral you know argument what is the moral argument against this i mean what hillary clinton is basically saying is like this will screw me and other powerful people over <laughs> right. like that's mm-hmm. not a very convincing argument yeah nail on the head i don't know that's that's pretty much yeah. it the huh. thing is like even now like as far as I instead see of it, having yeah. to go through a middleman like a, a marketplace like for futures and things like that as far as investments like I could create something that's like, hey, some person on the other side of the world, you can invest in a U.S. market, a U.S. market, in quote. Yeah. So there's not this weird restriction of like, <laughs> oh, you're in the U.S., so you can only trade like right. companies that like the U.S. is regulating and is allowing. It's. And would that change how we understand globalization? Because right now, like the kinks in that is, well... You know, we want to source our supply chains in China because it's there's cheap labor, 
but they're also using slaves and committing a genocide and that makes everything complicated of course but if we're just trading with you know joe schmo in shanghai he's not committing a genocide right he's just an individual like if it's on an individual level does that negate some of the like geopolitical complications i think so with globalization at that scale i see that becoming just equally hairy though in the sense of like yeah i just get what i pay for and i have no idea where it comes from right but (laughs) is that any different than now i mean yeah that's fair is it any different than now no i don't think so that's what i'm saying exactly it like the same kind of quandaries get translated yeah you could still be dealing with an individual who's horrible yeah but we are doing that now too and don't know it right true so there's obviously some and you would at least wouldn't be empowering a government that's like committing human rights violations. You'd be maybe empowering a single individual who sucks, but not a yeah, system but that sucks. You wouldn't know either way. Right. But on but now we do know that like yeah. when we're buying Nikes that we're like helping support a right. regime that's right. committing atrocities. So And I don't that's interesting. And realistically, I don't see this like it's not the world can't run in a strictly digital sphere, right? So it's going to be like, it's still Nike, but if more people are using crypto, they're going to have some sort of presence where it's like, yeah, you can use crypto to buy Nike. Mm. Yeah, because you have to organize to create things at scale. And so in that case, Nike, the thing is, Nike won't know who's buying from them, but like, you'll know who you're buying from because they're a face of like a business. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing is like, yeah, these companies aren't going to know who's interacting with them. Which is where that we're not a commodity anymore kind of comes in. Mm -hmm. Like you could still probably use, I could see like Facebook porting over to the Ethereum network in the future. Mm -hmm. But like the thing is, is they're going to be kind of bummed out because they can't steal your information. Yeah, kind of bummed out. (laughs) Sort of their whole business model. (laughs) Right. They'll find a way. Um, Which is is pretty neat. And uh, Totally. So I I think there'll be a balance there. And And, you know, I don't see it being like this weird globalization where it's like, no borders, no walls, no USA at all. It's going to be like, uh, okay, yeah, there's like the USA and there's Canada and it's like all these countries are still around, but it's just easier for the individual to interact and participate in the economies of other countries, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like Damn. this is the next like logical evolution of capitalism. Yeah. And it does, I think it does kind of help address some of the, the downsides of, of capitalism. Um, it can help with the arguments of like exploitation and things like that. Yeah. Because um, you're empowering individuals. Right. You know what you could also mm-hmm. do with your smart contracts is you could build in, um, I mean, on a personal level, you mint an NFT or something like that. You can build your contract to say like, any income I make, I'm automatically donating 10% of it to X, Y, and Z. Hmm. And just like, you never see it because it just it happens instantaneously, right? And and again, this can so all if, be so. Re- if it matters to you to be that kind of person, right? Right. You can essentially automate it, right? And mm. it, and it creates and again, it's a ledger and it creates the keeps people accountable. So like, yeah, you know, imagine if the Clinton Foundation was on a in a you know minting NFTs and if there was a ledger, if there was a ledger <laughs> <laughs> transactions, that'd be amazing. As much of a black hole as the military budget. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> God. Yeah. Oof. 
Oof. So yeah, there's a lot to learn. I'm trying Dang. to learn more about like the actual. That was so much math of it. That this was really constructive. I think good. Well, excellent. I'm a yeah. big dumb dumb head. There's I love that. Real what did people what did you want to wrap up on, Torna? You had thoughts for well uh, i just figured because it's the last episode i want to kind of send off kind just of thing. send off and see yeah what you're up to obviously like we're still with high highline and we're all kind of podcast family but um you're obviously going to be busy with other stuff so i want to hear yeah what are you up to mostly you because we're going to continue pumping episodes out and so people are going to keep up with us but and i'll be listening along yeah. with everyone okay. else you got any you got any crazy fun plans for 2022 and yeah, well, so not necessarily 2022, but in the realm of thinking in NFT language, hmm. um, I've been so like always part of Highline in my mind. Um, like there's a future of kind of like the online class, online education mm-hmm. type model um, where I I really love the idea of all of us who have experience with editing and sound design and like know things about the hardware you know like it means nothing to cat when i say like yeah i'm using this road nt1a today <laughs> and but she's using an sm58 or whatever it means nothing to her other than she can tell what the differences are just by looking at it but um i i love the idea of highline continuing to kind of network in a different way and mm-hmm. not just be a bunch of podcasts but also be a bunch of like Co- the collective knowledge and consciousness of a bunch of people who have learned things about what it means to create audio yeah, in entertainment and all that. So, um, uh, in the same way you were talking about NFTs being essentially like tickets. Um, I love the idea of something like, I don't even know if this is what I'm going to call it, but like call it the Highline cohort or something like that. And I mint a hundred NFTs and I sell those. And essentially that gives anyone who wants access into the public knowledge of the Highline cohort, right? So like hmm. 99 of us are there. One person wants to learn what we know. They can buy in. They can then gain access to something like a Discord or something like a Patreon. Essentially like doing the NFT ticket kind of cohort model is like bypassing Patreon in a way. And mm-hmm. essentially that also kind of, it takes that middleman out of things. Um and I like Patreon. I like like their business model. It's very helpful. Like I've expen- uh, like I've experienced uh l- like literal profit from the Ravel Patreon at this point. So That's awesome. But with an NFT, you build like a cohort or something like that. You can essentially bypass all those middlemen. You can create can create like an online atmosphere for people to get together, leave each other text messages, voice messages, do video calls, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Hmm. And it's like Here's a hundred discrete seats at this in this digital meeting space. You can show up whenever you want. It's not necessarily like you buy a ticket ticket to a three day conference. It's just like you can stay as long as you want. You continue based on my smart contract. You continue to pay me thousand bucks a month to be in the cohort or something like that. As soon as you don't want to be here, you can just sell that NFT, and somebody who wants your spot can buy it up they join the group right and we're we're all just like continuing to move forward yeah and making each other better and the knowledge we have what we've learned about being entertaining what we've learned about like just making good sound making good audio all that kind of stuff so that's like a far-reaching dream hope kind of thing i have 
So very cool. I like that. Definitely It'd opportunity to use yeah. that technology too. And that's that's why I'm looking into it right now. Is like that seems like a tangible way to make or a real way to make NFTs worthwhile. Cause like I think the worst of the NFT market can be memified into like, yeah, <laughs> art thieves are now just like hitting control C, right. taking a screenshot or whatever. Which is true. Um and in the same way, like I have the equal amount of respect for people who trade in rare art as an investment opportunity, right? Like, yeah, I would rather the art be the art and not just something for a rich person to diversify. Right. right. And that's why I've heard a lot <laughs> you know? of right. a lot of the yeah. people that I listen to the most that I really trust. They're like they have a lot of faith in the future of this. And they're like, there are obviously people that are doing this to try to get rich quick kind of scheme and it's working, but they're yeah. also the people that their advice, even though they always say this is an investment advice, they're like invest in NFTs. If you want to ex- explore the space, invest in artists that you like, right? Because you want their art. Yep. Um, you know, a great example is um, what are the, the monkey NFTs? This, the yacht club. Oh yeah. yeah the yeah. Monkey yacht club or whatever. There's a person online who's like really prevalent in the in the crypto talk, and he's completely anonymous. No one knows who he is, mm-hmm. but he bought this NFT, and it's now like his like profile picture, right? Like that's his identity, like in mm-hmm. the crypto sphere. And someone just offered him ten million dollars for rights to that NFT, and he paid like a hundred dollars for it like years ago. Jeez. And he made a, a public statement. And he's like, "This is really difficult for me, but like this is something I really believe in, and I know that like." Like ten million is more than I might ever be worth, but like I'm not willing to give up this NFT for that, like hmm. because I've created a space, an well, identity in this world, and to him it represents a lot more than just the money. It's right, and the principle willing of to it. be traded yeah. for, yeah, and, right. and you know the people that have those kind of principles are going to be the ones that stand out, right, mm-hmm. and they're going to protect the space from yeah. bad actors, honestly, and it's also like, you know. Maybe this is the ugly art market, the ugly NFT market. Like, but there's also people who like legitimately care about that art and put it on display because they're they they're a fan of that artist. Yeah, and we're starting to get like digital art frames and stuff that actually can display NFTs. You can like have a digital. Oh right! Like you can actually (laughs) hang your you can actually hang your NFT on the wall. (laughs) Which I I think is cool. That's like so human to like. Take something that's real and make it digital, and then be like, "Wait, I want it to be real make again." It real again. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Which is why I like the idea of tying this digital sphere to the physical sphere because totally, I find great value in the physical, right? Yeah. The yeah. physical it's, world right. is beautiful, but but that that initial that initial translation is what happened. You know, there's one Mona Lisa, right? There's millions of photos of the Mona Lisa, yeah. But there's only one Mona Lisa. In the same way, there's only a hundred tickets to the Highline cohort. (laughs) Right. People might be able to gain the system, but like, it's almost like, is bragging rights the right way to talk about? I mean, it's it's status, right? It's kind of what we were saying with the, with at least my question in the inflation conversation was like public sentiment. (laughs) Like, yeah, but, but eventually something has to have like real, value and then there's also the utility of it which you texted us after we got off that conversation (laughs) right but the utility of it that's where i am most excited about crypto and where i'm most excited about nft is like the utility of saying i have a hundred spots for this 
whoever wants it can buy it. And as soon as you want out, like my smart, smart contract will make it in such a way that like, I don't see any kind of dip. Like, you know, I, I see that transfer happen, but effectively I still have all hundred spots filled in. Cause you can easily transfer that spot to somebody else. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You can sit, you, you can resell that NFT. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what that smart contract does is like, just like Torna's book, right? He finds the book, he sells it at auction, but Mark Twain sees the profit of the money that was transferred at the auction because of the way the contract and the copyrights mm-hmm. and all those things work. So, right. So what you'd be selling is uh, like access. Yeah. Yeah. It's like ticketing. Right. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And when you hear NFT, you think of like, yeah, you think of a meme. You yeah. think of like a shitty digital, I don't even know. Totally. Something stupid. Lindsay Lohan's like creating NFTs or something I saw the other day and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what is that going to be? Did you see that Melania Trump is making? I did see that. <laughs> oh, what they're going to be. I don't be. know what it's going to be. <laughs> Sounds amazing though. Get into it. Former first lady. <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> yeah. What else? Uh, in the near term, I guess 2022, like Dixie and I are going to continue with no normal people, mm-hmm. kind of adjusting into like a seasonal schedule for that. Ravel still plugging away, loving that project with our friends. We have plenty of ideas for bonus episodes and a bunch of stuff for patrons and all that kind of stuff that we're rocking and rolling. For Highline, I do have a goal that we every show reads their first ad and gets paid for it mm, by mm-hmm. the end of 2022. That'd be rad. Nice. So Alex and I are working on a bunch of like, I, I guess this is the right, right time to say it. Like, so early 2022, like January and February, we're going to be running a survey that every listener can engage in and for participating and helping us like gain some data that we can then put into pitch decks and start talking mm. to people about advertising their brands with us. Um, Promo codes will come out so that they can go to the website, get their get the sticker of their favorite show that is currently on the Highline uh, network for free, along with a straight Highline sticker as well. That's so, awesome. That's amazing. That project is early 2022. What so else? we can help distribute that survey when the time comes? Yeah, that'll like come to next year. Bench yeah. listeners. Okay, cool. Yep. Great. That'll come next year. All sorts of... Uh, Links and stuff will be provided. Fantastic for that because I I would love to hear you two read an ad for freaking Jeremiah Johnson. It'd be right? so like, fun. It'd be yeah. so fun. Read an totally. ad for Mountain Man Scotch Ale, my right. favorite beer ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then be able to cut you guys a check and be like, for talking on microphones, you've made. Ten dollars, even if it's ten dollars, wouldn't that feel oh my so God, no, amazing? Be amazing. Awesome. <laughs> Go into the pay for all of our time and money that actually went into this. Yeah, which Huge is the goal, right? It's beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my favorite thing. I was t- talking to Keller about it on on the newest show to the Highline Network, Keller's Couch. When uh, when we were on there, like I was talking about podcasting in the way of like, I would love to make it a career. It sounds so much fun to me. And I listen to so many that like I have so many role models for, you know, ideas of shaping different shows in the future or just like continually learning or listening to shows in the way of I'm a listener and I'm entertained by this person or Mm -hmm. I learn a lot from them, but also kind of in the meta like producer way of like, oh, I see how they're making those transitions happen Mm -hmm. and I see how they're doing all their CTAs for 
getting people to participate in surveys or selling their own merch or selling ads or anything like that. Right. Um, but what, what I was telling Keller was like, I would love to make it a career, but I would totally do this for free for the rest of my life. Cause yeah, it's so cause you enjoy it. fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good, you know? Well, and that's why you're good at what you do. Cause you do actually enjoy it. Yeah. And like you can tell that you enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a blast. I think connecting people and having two hour conversations about crypto, something we didn't understand two hours ago is something we understand a lot more now. Totally. Right. Yeah. And hopefully the people who listen to this episode will have uh, a better understanding. And that's too. the beauty of audio. And that's the beauty of podcasting. Like somebody was doing their dishes during this entire episode. And right. not only did they learn about crypto from Torna, they also completed doing the dishes and they can right. feel doubly good about it. Yeah, you exactly. Know? You know, exactly. And that's why I've never become like a guy who like surfs YouTube for hours and hours mm-hmm. because a lot of the time sitting at a desk i need brain space for other things i my eyes are doing other things like yeah yeah Yeah. i just i I love carrying podcasters around in my earbuds i mean that's the whole reason why a lot of of people put this out there i mean naval uh one of my favorite people in the world which i've mentioned before yeah i mean the dude's like one of the most successful angel investors in history yeah and he's like the best thing you can do is put out your most valuable content or most valuable ideas for free yeah which is really hard thing to understand, but he's like, if you are putting out these ideas and you're putting out that passion, which podcasting is a great vi- venue because it is free, mm-hmm. like you also, will start to attract people, and that's your hook. And then it's yep. like, cool, you want to see more? Join the cohort. Yep. Right. You know all these beautiful things. Exactly. But it's we're free. giving our most valuable thing for free, and it is in my opinion, the last form of decentralized media on the internet. Right. And even yeah, then totally. we're starting to get into weird territory yeah. with Spotify contracts and oh, which is why Highline is pretty much right <laughs> against everything. I canceled. I like completely stopped subscribing to Spotify. Yeah, which I like ago. Spotify and overall yeah. I, I do think it's actually a pretty good company. Um mm-hmm. But, but I don't like what they're doing to it, make a walled garden of podcasts. Yeah, and like, if it's not your jam, that's awesome. I can't get Joe Rogan anywhere. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. I never really have. But like, I would rather him be on every app ever yeah. instead of me having to go to Spotify. I think that is so obnoxious. Mm. I don't like the walled garden. The walled garden of podcasting. Ugh. Yeah. No bueno. Get it out there. Put your best stuff out there for free, just like Torna said. Yeah. I love that. So, just like Torna said, Naval said. Yeah, just like Torna <laughs> said, Naval said. Yeah, exactly. He said, he said. Um, but no, that, that's beautiful. I'm glad to hear that. And um, whiskey benches continue on. Cat and I have some awesome ideas. Yeah, you do. We've got a little bit more structure planned out. I think we'll see how it actually goes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have some. Yeah, we have more structure. Yes, yes, we do. We do. It's, it's good. I think it's going to be a great year. New look, 2022. Yes, guys, we've got some, uh, some a logo refresh coming in. Yeah. Modernizing it a little bit. Um, I think it's going to be probably more in line with kind of the, the total uh, mantra of Whiskey Bench. You mm-hmm. could sell the uh, the 1.0 version of it after it's taken off the Instagram <laughs> stuff. You could yeah. sell it as an NFT. <gasps> right, right. And then we could create a, we could Vintage create a, Whiskey Bench. A exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which, is, which is really cool. And so... You know, we'll do that. And then we're, I don't know when, but maybe <laughs> the bench coin. Yeah. Bench coin. Second quarter or something. Third quarter. We might try to get some 
some people on, start interviewing some people that kind of are are normal experts and stuff, which I think is really fun. Find some of these local people that you know just are experts in their field. Yeah, exactly. Which is really cool too. Dive with someone who knows more than we do. We've talked about this before. A lot of that. I love people like Joe Rogan and Dak Shepard and and um. Um, Those freaking Dax sold a show to Spotify too. Yeah, dang it! But you know they interview all these people. Interview the same people. Yep, and the and they are all great. But like, I it's know overdone. I know there are people in Bozeman that are just as smart as like fill in the blank scientists that all these people circulate. Well, that's the thing and too. It's, is it's cool, right? It, and it it brings people, I think, down to earth to be like, oh yeah, no, my neighbor is just as smart as Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah. So it's cool. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that's always annoyed me is like somebody puts out a book, right? Jonathan Haidt puts out a book. Right. You're going to see him on eight different podcasts within three weeks. And right. he's essentially going to say the same thing to everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's marketing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And it like... I get that about the way that podcasting has like decentralized audience as well. Like you can never really bank on an overlap between Dax and Joe Rogan because some people might just prefer one guy over another mm-hmm. kind of thing, you yeah. know? Right. You know, I subscribe to 98 different podcasts, <laughs> but I'm not even scratching the surface of how many right. <laughs> podcasts are out there. Oh yeah, right? for sure. So yeah, you can't even assume that I'm going to have much overlap, but I do have overlap. And that's what I, that's what I like about what you're talking about is like, yeah, it's one thing to interview Jonathan Haidt, which would be a huge get and which would be awesome. And you should guys should definitely do that if you can. Yeah. Yeah. I like Jonathan Haidt. Right. But it's also special to see like, oh, I bet there are some local people that are yeah really good at what they do that are maybe similar. Talk about similar things from a, from a maybe more novel perspective. Yeah. Um. 2022 for me, Whiskey Bench obviously is going to be growing. I think a lot. Leather working. Um, yeah, what? that's that's fun hobby stuff. Like <laughs> I want to I want to pick up some sewing and learn some stuff like that. But that that's personal stuff, um, which which I love obviously. But I like that. Um, I would be, I'd be interested in potentially starting a second podcast. I have some ideas. Okay. Um, some very interesting people that I've met recently. Um, I also have been meeting a lot of really interesting people lately. Uh, within the Bozeman community that have a lot of really cool things going on. So I'd like to um, maybe not, not like in the advertisement world, but kind of start lifting up some of these people. I met someone recently that's going to be putting out a novel. Which sounds really cool. It's like a historical novel. I met another guy that has a publishing company that actually has a lot of really cool books being published through it. And he's like just a normal, he's like a, a blue collar dude that does plaster, but he, he started a publishing hmm. company. Nice. And wow. that's Interesting. Totally. Normal people doing really cool things. Totally. And things that kind of break that mold. Like, oh, a lot of people be like, oh, he's just a blue collar guy. Well, no, he's like a blue collar guy that like knows a ton about history and has a publishing I have organization to say, and like crazy stuff. Since moving to Bozeman and I guess just Montana, like I've been blown away by how much, maybe this isn't a good way to frame it, but like how much crossover there is like that. Mm-hmm. I've met so many like young people who work in trades who also have like varied interests and yeah. like expertise and things outside of their trade. Yeah. I just met a guy recently. He's a carpenter, but like he went to school for history and he's like an expert in Japanese fascism. 
All right. Which is really interesting and cool. He's like, yeah, I just love this kind of stuff. But like, I also love carpentry. Like, yeah. And it, I again, mean, you're it, not a bad example either, Mr. In- oh, totally. Independent contractor, also a podcast producer. Right. But it breaks the mold. Like I, I do. I see this unfortunate side of, of the Montana community of kind of more the intellectual um, establishment kind of people that really like, I think, really look down on a lot of these normal people. Yeah. They're like, oh, they're just blue collar. Like Montana is like this horrible racist state. Yada, yada, yada. Fill in the blank. And maybe I'm in this weird microclimate, but like, do people think Montana's racist? Yeah, the only people I've ever know. talked to, I haven't heard that much. The only like African Americans specifically that I've ever spoken to who have like come to Montana thinking that it would be racist because it's so white have consistently. Everybody has always told me like I was shocked by how not racist and how welcoming this state oh, was. Sure, yeah, yeah but th- my point being like, look a little deeper, like. Right. Yeah. I think yeah, part really. of it kind of ties with that stereotype. And all I'm saying is there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of multifaceted, super interesting right. people that break the mold. You know, and I have to say, coming from California, like it feels much more segregated there by class, mm-hmm. like much more and more than I ever even was aware of until I moved here. And I don't know, those boundaries seem to be like broken more often here. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Dang. What about you, Kat? Oh, 2022. Um, I was just going to say that like 2021, one was a whirlwind. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe it's over, right? Like, yeah. It feels like it's still 2020, but... um, It's all very blurry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very. Um, Hindsight but, is blurry 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um. <laughs> But this was like the year of like living outside my comfort zone. Like I wasn't expecting to do a podcast. Right. I wasn't expecting to be like writing regularly and being published. Being interviewed on TV. Like doing yeah, yeah the TV and radio. Like totally. I didn't expect any of that. And it's been super rewarding and it's felt really good to be outside my comfort zone and create like a new comfort zone and then go beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess in 2022, I'm hoping to continue that. Um, I'm also sensing that like I'm going to be ready to pivot again in like a year or so. Mm-hmm. So I think this year, this next year is going to be like a time to prepare for that next mm-hmm. chapter. Nice. So I'm going to try to beautiful map out what that looks like. I love that. Mm-hmm. Since this is our last episode with Henning, I also just wanted to say, like, it's been such a joy doing this with you. And I'm so glad oh. to have met you. And it's true. We met through weeks this before episode one yeah. came yeah, out. Like through this. And <laughs> yeah. I'm so grateful for that. It's awesome. You know, when you think about the amount of time you spend with people and, you know, we don't even live in the same town. And, and although I feel like I don't really ever get to see you. Like when I really think about it, like so we've spent hundreds of hours together, so much time. podcasting, yeah. and like both of you might be some of the people that I've spent the most time with. Right. Yeah, like truly <laughs> dedicated, <laughs> carved out on the calendar. Yeah, yeah, totally, um, and just consistently yeah. once a week. And that's an encouragement to people. Be like, make time. Yeah, you make time. Even an hour a week with someone like that you adds can up. Do it. That mm-hmm. adds up to a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. So it it's, it's cool and it's special. And Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I met Cat. 
in person for the first time in July? Yeah. August? <laughs> yeah, August. Yeah. After podcasting for mm-hmm. nine months together? Yeah. And this is the second time we've ever seen each other? <laughs> I know, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I know. But there's no like weird pretense or it's like, it's not awkward because no, we talk every No, it feels totally comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Totally. It's very nice. Well, and- likewise. Thank you. Yeah, and and I mean, Tor and I are both excited for this next phase of Whiskey Bench. Yeah. Um, but like, you brought something very special to the show, yeah. and you will be missed. Um, and bring, I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah, oh, and you. you know, we're we're talking about that. We're like, Whiskey Bench isn't the same, or won't be the same without Henning. But moving forward, there there are ways that we're going to try and kind of incorporate the spirit of Henning with how we approach topics and really pushing ourselves oh, that's exciting to push back and, and that's like fun because that. you'll 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 get texts from me good <laughs> right. the episodes come out. yeah exactly and we can be like <laughs> all right hitting you every time hitting made a great <laughs> yeah. point that we didn't represent <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other argument very well yeah what, what would you yeah, say yeah ex- yeah you're like <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna release perspective is valuable and yeah and i and like you're also a very good interviewer obviously given your other shows but like that's i don't know i just wanted to like pay that compliment like you ask really good questions oh thank you and that's valuable so questions are my favorite we're gonna yeah Mm. well hey especially in this format like oh the more questions the better so questions are an easy way to simultaneously seek the information you want and admit that you don't have it already right (laughs) yes you know instead Uh. of like bullshitting my way through topics like it it, it it even was evident to me the way that Kat has her Mac and Torna has his iPad. And I'm like, I came with a blank notebook page. <laughs> to open the book. <laughs> Pretend I have notes. Like, I don't think I know much, but uh, here we go. And I've made some notes, you know. Sweet. There we go. But okay. I usually start episodes with nothing. And then I have something in the notebook here. Yeah. 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 The questions but are that's, helpful. Yeah, that's because questions like pack the double punch of like. I definitely don't know this yet. Yeah. And I'm just going to simultaneously let you know that I don't, but also that I want to learn. You know? Yeah. And then it spurs a whole other branch of the conversation. Yeah. Which is absolutely. Helpful, so. Oh, wow. The end of an era. I think so. And this is a wonderful of close of the year. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I think we're going to peace out for the evening and we're going to go share a meal together. Go get some beer. Yes. Yes. Food. Some good food. <laughs> food. Yeah. Kat, you mentioned you haven't eaten much today not since my burnt eggs i and yeah. uh at like 6 30 this beer, morning <laughs> a beer a cookie and some cream cheese at the house oh yeah that's what we had i, I yeah the I second we show anything. up it's like one o'clock the second we show up my dad's like you guys Here's want a one. beer oh yeah Co- and then he's like you don't want a beer you, you want, want a beer you want a whiskey whiskey mixed like, drink no. like no no i'm good i'm like uh, you sure you don't want a beer i'm like yeah i will have a beer <laughs> yeah all right yeah oh. all right guys well cheers to cheers. 2021 good stuff to Whiskey Bench 1.0. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly and cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty.
Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Stephen. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.